So cards. I've shuffled them extensively. Okay. Do you do you want to pull it from the top? How did you? Oh, last time it was an app. So you were. Oh, yeah. Good memory. Um, uh, what's the, what's the normal protocol? Do you rip well, it from the top? As pe- the, people do it differently. So what do you want? Do you just want I'm to go straight from the top? Cut the deck. Oh, he's gonna cut and it. Take the top one from the bottom half. Thanks for describing. Just for the for the listeners there. Um, is that number ten with a series of pentagrams? Yeah, it's a ten of pentacles. Oh, very good. I was waiting for a title, you know. <laughs> no, nah, all the minor ones don't have that on there. It's only the it's only the big boys that says what it is. The other ones you just got to kind of guess it. Right, and which way is up? I, that way. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Did very it come good. up upside down? Do you want to be an upside down person? I like didn't pay Rob? close enough attention. I'm sorry. I was too busy trying to work out which way the card was supposed to sit you were just flinging it around willy-nilly and um i don't know enough about how a, how a tarot works in order to <laughs> it's a it's it's kind of like benefits. it's a bit negative on the on the opposite side mm. so it's like the kind of reverse of if the card is like all nice stuff as all tarot is but then every card is also bad if you flip it up it's just the inverse they've just covered all bases <laughs> yeah pretty much you know you can't just have all positive cards but then at the same time you don't want to have like an actual negative card because that would be fucking weird but then it would just be positive you know Oh, you got the negative card, but it's upside down. Lucky day, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> All right, read that. Okie doke. Ten of Pentacles. Legacy, permanence, wealth, ancestors, wisdom, home. The Ten of Pentacles is a card of physical security. It could mean a successful financial venture, an inheritance that will provide for those concerned, or an auspicious partnership. It's also a card of traditions, so it could represent a holiday celebration or doing things the way they've always been done. If you have a question about what you should do, think back to the way your elders would solve the problem. The warning with this card is that you may be thinking that financial wealth is the only kind of wealth there is, and may be forgetting about spiritual and emotional wealth. Is there a cost that you have not considered in achieving the comfort you desire? Has another guest of yours pulled this one before? Because that last line rings a bell, but I am not sure. You know what? I feel, is it bad if I don't know that? Oh, well, as a listener of your podcast, you seem to have a fairly good recollection. Like you're able to sort of pull off the guests <laughs> you know, out, of, out of your memory. You know, that's right. You had the same card as this other person. Yeah. You look, know? I'd l- I'm, I'm glad that you were impressed by my knowledge of previous guests of the show, but at the moment, I can't think of anyone else that's had the Ten of Pentacles. Right. Because Rob Allen was a Pentacles, hence the whole Pentacles, Pentacles debate, debate that's right. that still rages on <laughs> Roman to this <and> Greek. day. <laughs> but I don't know what he was, but he was inverted regardless, so he wouldn't have said the same thing you did. But there may have been. Listeners, if mm. I'm wrong, you can scream into your headphones right now. Welcome to Fuck You Tarot Lady episode 21. My guest today is a first ever returning guest, our first ever guest, Matt Cleary. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me again. This is fun. So we want to give a little bit of a background for this episode. Um, Tim Anderson has been wild on Facebook posting uh, his top 20 albums, influential one a day, tag a bunch of people, tell people to do it themselves. And uh, he's tagged both of us in this. Now, I went the normal route and avoided it and didn't do it. (laughs) Like I'm sure a lot of people have. No offense, Tim. It's not that, uh, you know, people don't like love you and want to talk about the albums they like and want to show off all their cool music taste, but it's just hard work. But you 
did the genius route and you just did all 20 <laughs> in one go and just put it up on Facebook and it was like, boom, here it is. And oh, yeah. No way I'm doing that. 20 days. That's such a commitment. Yeah. yeah. No, not to, for me. <laughs> so, way to go, people who are committed to actually do that um, and way to go you for kind of finding a way to circumnavigate it mm. but still have the fun. Now... Mal and I had such a fun time kind of pouring over your 20 in the row in the little grid that you did that it made us want to do the exact same thing. So I have also gone and made a top 20 mm. and I literally used yours as a template and just dropped my albums over the top. Now, awesome. I kind of cheated a little bit with this because you had your 20 and then I thought, well, a lot of the stuff in there is very reminiscent of my past because we've had such a similar music. Mm. Background, you know, uh, for listeners who didn't know, Matt and I are great friends. We have we're in a band together in high school, and a lot of the music we were kind of coming up through was very similar. But there were a lot of diversions, and I made sure that I had a lot of diversions different to yours. Yeah, I did be- think that because yeah. of that. Because I'm like, well, I can't just post all the same shit Matt's going to post because we're going to be talking about it on a podcast. Because after Mal and I kind of poured over the images, and then I called you one afternoon and was like, I just wanted to talk to you about your choices, and then you, and then, <laughs> and then it kind of snowballed within like two seconds and I was like oh this is think, too good yeah. it should be a podcast we so, got I think three three albums in before we're like this is actually really good <laughs> people might give a shit <laughs> but probably not <laughs> but but it's good it's good to to have you back on and it feels hmm. like we talk, there was a there was a mention in that card which we're totally going to ignore because we're just going to talk about albums <laughs> that we like but uh, you know the talk of traditions and things like that and it feels good that it, this feels very natural coming nice back one. to doing a podcast with you and uh just talking some shit about music we like, which feels very yeah. at home and it feels very lovely. Yeah, it's good. But I also have to admire your ability to sort of crowbar in the meaning behind the card into what is otherwise not really related. <laughs> so, you know, well done. <laughs> Get that out of the way. We'll keep moving. So we're going to jump straight into it, I reckon. So um, do you want to do like a one for one each back and forth? We'll do like our number one album, then our number two album. Or do you want to do all 20 of yours and talk about it? Like what was your idea for this episode? Because it's very unstructured. Great question. I think a like a one on ah oh, maybe in because it's like the grid. If you see it, it's in three rows of five, mm-hmm. and I think three rows of it's four. Three, no, three. Three. I don't know now. Anyway, whatever adds up to twenty. <laughs> four or five? Is it four or five? Four rows of five. I thought there it must be four rows on the thing that I made. Maybe. maybe anyway, it's, maybe it's. I think it's five across, four down. Yeah, five by four in some way. <laughs> It sort of seemed to me that each row represented like, uh, like a gr- like a growth or like growing up in a way, mm-hmm. and it sort of like progressed. So maybe five for five, you know. Oh, and in I that like, way, it's yeah. like here's the initial five, and then you know. It was one, two, three. Yeah, I've I've done. Yeah, it's in five, so that that works out well. And I kind of noticed that because I guess I have an intimate knowledge of your life. I knew that kind of, oh, well, this is when he was in this band and this is when this started happening and this is when you were in a fallen theory. Mm, and then yeah, you, yeah, could, yeah. you could kind of track it that way. So maybe that's an interesting way to do it. We can do five for five. Because I, I essentially did mine as like, you know, oh, man, and dude, can we just talk about how hard this was to like nail down the 20? So Very, very difficult. Yeah. And then I was texting Luke Toomey last night. If you were listening to this in the truck right now, Luke, give us a honk. Um, <laughs> hey, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, mate. He was like, oh, I'm very excited to see how you went from nerd Rory to metal Rory or something. And I was like, oh, yeah, I don't want to like, upset anyone to like, think. Because, yeah, there's, there's some controversial shit in my 20 that I think mm. people are going to be like, mate, you're not fucking metal, you poser. So, mm. but I've worn that on my sleeve and I thought it's better to just be completely honest with myself and the listeners than like pretend that I was into way brutal shit oh, or that I am into brutal shit. It, like, yeah, some of the difficulty in this came from trying to separate what 
I thought was a cool album that would look good in the 20 from what I actually felt was an influential album. Like that, that was a difficult sort of step that you had to take, you know? Influential is a tricky word because Isn't it's like it? influential yeah. means what? Like, do, do you put on ones that you know all the words to, but mm. maybe not like so much anymore, but you have to kind of admit it? Or is it something that maybe there was like a couple of key tracks on that album that did stuff to you, but then maybe you don't know the rest of the album. So you kind of like, Tough. I could, yeah. some of them I couldn't justify because I'm like, oh, I probably wouldn't even know those songs if they were played. But then other songs on that album I know back to front. Sure, so it's like, sure. So I had to kind of get a little bit, and I think we could probably go into a bit of detail for each one, mm. why they're in there, what's the go, blah, 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 whatever. All right, rule set. Do you want to start? So we'll start with your first five. Very good. Um, should I just like list them? First five? Yeah. Cool. Very good. Corn, uh, Follow the Leader, System of a Down, Toxicity, Slipknot, Iowa, Cradle of Filth, Damnation in a Day, Dimmu Borgia, Death Cult, Armageddon. Mm. That's a pretty deep sort of cut. Like if you if you follow that five from Corn to Dimmu in, you know. <laughs> but I mean, when you think about it, you would probably listen to Corn when you're about what ten, nine or ten is when Final yeah, Leader came. Initially, out. yeah, that's right. Yeah. So and then and then by the time you get to Dimmu, you'd be about what fifteen, sixteen. Mm. Yeah. So I structured the the twenty, the list of twenty in order of sort of discovery. Yeah. You know what I mean? And I kind of followed suit because mm. I noticed that's what you'd done. So I've kind of done a similar thing. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that was a wise... And it was just a nice trip to, you know, down memory lane to go, oh, that's right. I gave a shit about that band at Once Upon a Time. Um, but so Corn, Corn, the like, as, as we discussed in our unrecorded portion of this conversation, um, the Freak on a Leash video clip, that was the genesis of Corn for me. Video hits Saturday morning. You're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. Bullet holes, slow motion, exploding beer cans, kids on swings. And then that final scene when like the room is riddled with bullet holes. And you're just like, well, who is this band? And they're all wearing Adidas. What's happening? <laughs> and oh. like Todd McFarlane did the animation for the start bit, you know, with like the cop and the girl oh, doing the hopscotch on the cliff and yep, then shoots yep. the bullet, which becomes the real bullet, which is yeah. like... Mixed media. It's like it's That's like, pretty cool. It's like Kill it, Bill. Um, you know, at the end of it, it goes back to the animation and then becomes the falling away from me video. Like I think oh. it carries over. So it's like Limp Biscuit in that yeah. they've got they yeah. had some fucking continuity between the clips. God, I love that man. Yeah. Why don't they do that anymore? Pretty cool. Pretty cool. Way to go, um, True Believer. But yeah, so that was the very first one, which then resulted in me buying my first ever CD, which was Follow the Leader from CC Music in Geelong. Um, but it didn't come with its real cover or its real booklet, just the actual CD in a like a blank CD case in like some bargain bin thing. Mm. And uh, but the CD itself was the black one with like the matte black background and gloss black text on the top of it. There's something mm. kind of special about that. I remember when you and I interviewed Dave Haley back on Keith Solomon. He mentioned that he got like I think it was Kill 'Em All at like a Brashes, and it didn't mm. have the didn't have the cover on it. And it's there's something kind of magic about one of those really influential albums and you don't even know what it looks like until or you know what I mean it's not it's not the thing yeah. it looks more like a system of a down steal this album you know like <laughs> there's, there's not like a, an artwork to it and you know when people talk about the artwork of like oh man the gatefold of this record so sick mm. and, you know and then you but it's just the music speaks for itself yeah pretty cool now also you want to tell them about that weird thing with follow the leader and the <laughs> it starts on like track 14 or something there's 13 one second blank tracks at the beginning of the CD just to be weird <laughs> is that the reason I think so. I, I, Maybe look, they fucked up that's with like my the guess. printing press or something. They're like, oh, we've just made like 100,000 CDs. I'll oh, just run with it. It'll make people question it 25 years later. <laughs> Two dickheads will talk about it on a podcast a year from now. It'll be great. 
All right, so follow the leader. That was your intro. and So it wasn't the Got the Life clip because that's the one I remember first. That was a great video with the fake Ferrari. Yeah, yeah. and he like beats up the paparazzi with the bat. And it's like, no! Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, he's about to just... Good video. Yeah, sick video. Um, But yeah, was that even on the, that record? I don't even know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that clip was... Look, I may be wrong, listeners, but I feel mm. like Got the Life was the first single on that album before Freak Ooh. on a Leash. Okay. But maybe I'm wrong. Yeah, right. Could be, could be either way. But that's what I remembered first off. Freak on a Leash clip, when you mentioned that, I'm like, oh yeah, that is mm. really sick. And it's like all the slow-mo, like glass shattering and bullets going through Dude, like water coolers and crazy. things. The six pack that's sitting on the convenience store uh, counter when the guy's buying it, when it explodes, you can still see the outline of the six pack. So something's happened in the edit of the video where it didn't quite go away. I, I don't know exactly, but I remember thinking it's still Some there. dude in the effects department got lazy and just was like, yeah, that'll do. Yeah, exactly. No one's going to fucking pause this on YouTube years from now. Uh, yeah, they won't be able to. Um, yeah, alrighty. So that was Corn. Yeah. Uh, which led into uh, System of a Down Toxicity. Um, for me, that was, that was the drums. Like that, I just remember because because they're a bit of a silly band. Like looking back, System of a Down always have weird lyrics and bizarre guitar like riffs that aren't riffs. They're just like effect sounds and stuff. So looking back, they're a bit of a weird band. But uh, the drumming uh, on Toxicity specifically that album that was like holy shit. This is like this guy's hitting really hard and it's really fast. And this is I can I can do this with a bit of practice. And so that was kind of rewarding to hear that and go. Oh, I reckon I could get my head around that. Mm-hmm. And then cover those songs in, you know, the first version of the first band I was in. So that was like mm. your Rosetta Stone for drumming, essentially, was hearing Toxicity drums? I guess so, yeah. Like, Did I, you want to be a drummer yeah. before then? I got. I was gifted my very first drum kit by my grandparents' neighbour's son. Uh, and this was probably the first time, this album was probably the first time since getting that kit a couple of years prior that I was like, maybe I do want to do this, you know? Maybe, you know, hitting drums, but in a heavy metal way is the is the direction, you know? Whoa. Mm. So you could have been yeah. like drumming trad before that, you know, doing like in some jazz band. Maybe. Like a, Who knows? What do you call them? Little feathery ones? The oh, little, the brushes. Yeah. You could have been one of those guys, like a whiplash dude. Could have. Could have had a tiny drum kit. Could have, could have fit in a hatchback. <laughs> could have got paid money to play shows. <laughs> Imagine. That's amazing. So you went from System of a Down, then you went to Iowa, is that right? That was, yeah, Slipknot, Iowa, which, according to my list, is the same release year, which is pretty interesting. What year was that? 2001. Wow, okay, mm. yeah, right. So yeah. why did you pick Iowa? So Slipknot are lumped in with new Metal, uh, which makes a lot of sense on the visual of it because, you know, they wear jumpsuits and masks and have numbers and have and a DJ scratching. and a guy on, with, like, fucking kegs. Hitting, you know, yeah, two members of the guy. bands, <laughs> like two extra members. And, you know, I'm, I think they're called yeah. percussion, I think is what they're listed as and in like the personnel. <laughs> yeah, they're liberal with the definition of percussion, I think. <laughs> but think about it, like I know touring in the States is meant to be easier because the like the, the capital cities and states are like closer to one another and there's so many of them. But nine people in a van is still a logistical nightmare, you know, like... You've got to wrangle you, nine dickheads. Where like, are you putting the kegs to? Oh, my God. Like, where are they? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Do you just get them from the venues <laughs> when you arrive? You've got <laughs> you empties. four kegs and two scissor lifts. Have you got them? <laughs> it was on the rider. <laughs> um, so, on the face of it, they're a, they're a goofy band as well. But Iowa, Joey Jordison's drumming on Iowa is formidable. It's fast. It's accurate. He would later go on to fill in for... Oh, was it Satyricon? Yeah, because Frost couldn't get a visa. Yeah, there was some, yeah, there was some criminal history preventing him from getting a visa. Um, 
probably probably killing someone. Uh, look, every chance of being, you know, an accessory in some way. Um, but so, yeah, jo- Joey Jordison's drumming on that record is fucking wild. And uh, Corey Taylor's vocals are extreme. Like, they're really, really gnarly vocals. And it's before he went down the path of, like, proper clean singing because he was still doing Stone Sour, which was a little bit more triple M-y, a little bit more like hard rock as opposed to heavy metal. And so he had his singing outlet through Stone Sour, mm. uh, which left Slipknot to be like the more brutal side. And he's, yeah, he's got powerful, powerful vocals. Um, yeah, that was that was a tipping point for for me for Slipknot, for sure. But Oh, yeah, and I think mm. when with so many people, uh, new metal is the gateway for everyone, you know, especially of our, mm. our era, our elk. Like Certainly. We, we, you're, we're both 31, so it's funny when you talk to some people, like either it might have been like grunge if it was earlier, or maybe mm. it was like skate punk, like punk rock, whatever you want to call sure. that, was the for kind sure. of gateway for them into music. But for us, it was definitely going to be new metal. There was no escaping. It was everywhere. Definitely. And Slipknot was this perfect gateway to the next step up, which is like, oh, this is really brutal. Mm. But it was okay to listen to in the in the... Like within that kind of herd of other new metal bands, but then you're like, "Fuck, I kind of want more stuff that's heavy, like Iowa." You know? Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like what? I don't remember what came after Iowa, but I don't think I gave it much time to be no, honest. No, because we'd already I, moved on by the time mm, that came out. Because, and it was probably only two years after. Like they would have been probably at the height of their, yeah. or, sorry, the beginning of their explosion into like arena band. Um, so I can't imagine their next record took too long. But whatever it was, I, I couldn't tell you. I could maybe give you a handful of albums that they've released since. And I don't know. Whichever one that came afterwards, there was that one song that was on Guitar Hero. And I remember like people being like loving that song. And I was like, I don't know that Slipknot song from Guitar Hero. Because it wasn't on the first two albums. Because I think at that mm. point, we'd already kind of... And I think it's it's everything in heavy metal to be like, no, I don't listen to that stuff anymore. <laughs> yeah, this stuff. Yeah. So it's very easy to like instantly like cut a band off at a certain point once you've... Once you think you've moved past it or whatever. And yeah, I think yep. one of the funniest things that I noticed about this was listening to some of this older stuff that I wouldn't, I guess, uh, be caught dead listening to as much anymore. Kind of mm. makes you go, oh, you know what? Fuck this. This actually rips. And like, yeah, you know, and yeah. tied in with the nostalgia, I think that probably makes it extra powerful. But, you know, like it's, mm. it, it, I think this was a good exercise for me and just being like, oh, yeah, man, st- music's sick. You know, like oh, all, for sure. all things instead of being like that. No, listen to fucking, you know. Brutal. Of course. Stuff. Of course. And yeah, anybody who says that, like, everybody knows those people who is like pure elitist metal. And that has a place because that's, you know, like that produces some pretty legit stuff. Mm. But no one started there. No. You know, that's everybody knows that you started somewhere and there's probably a photo of you wearing a backward cap and baggy jeans somewhere in your past. There was you know? some kind of ball necklace <laughs> going on around your neck. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Have I ever talked about the dice necklace on this podcast before? Do you listen to that in, in, in all your listening? I don't think so. So, listeners, my brother Gus had the fucking coolest necklace ever at the height of new metal, and it was essentially a bunch of dice, like, in an, as a necklace. <laughs> and it was the coolest fucking thing ever. And I remember, like, one time I got to wear it, like, a casual day at school. I was like, let me wear the fucking necklace, man. And he was like, yeah, right. <laughs> I won't lose it. I promise. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Imagine giving your kid brother your fucking prize necklace. Anyway, it was fucking sick. Gus, if you're listening to this, man, oh, if you, you've still got that dice necklace, fucking bust it out. Mm. Um, and that's kind of, you know, that's where everyone has, everyone's got a fucking photo of that. Right. Sure, sure, absolutely. With like a rip curl shirt. Um, yeah, I'm just fortunate that I'm 31 and Facebook didn't exist, you know, until much later in my life. And so you can only go back so far. <laughs> yeah, the embarrassing photos like only start in like 2009. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like you have to go back. Like actually Tim Meaden, 
uh, a, a high school alumni of the two of us. He sent me a photo on um, on Facebook Messenger a little while ago now, and he dug up um, the Lamort Cool Schools recording CD. And in the booklet of that are some terrible photos. Oh, I think I'm holding an axe. Uh, yeah, yeah. There's a couple that we had to do out at our practice place uh, at the farm. Uh, but then there was some that we had to smash out in the alleyway behind Studio 52 in Collingwood. Oh, no. That are like in front of a brick wall. And I was wearing like a like a, some shit t-shirt that I turned inside out for the photo. And you can clearly see on my shoulders the like the backward stitching. God damn it. Like, I'm so glad that, that exists in a finite amount of printed form and then that's it, you know. But can I please take a photo of that and make that the separate image of in, course, the, in of this course. chain of images? <laughs> Let's just immortalize it. Why the fuck not? <laughs> Matt at like age 15 wearing a backwards shirt, inside out shirt. Oh, Jesus. That's amazing. All right, let's keep mm. moving. What was the next one? Because uh, okay, we, so we I think we get heavy now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So uh, 2001 uh, Slipknot Iowa led to 2003 Cradle of Filth Damnation in a Day. Uh, so that was originally like uh, inaccessible vocals. Like that was the first real album where you where you would show a, a layman to heavy metal, and they'd be like, "Those vocals are outrageous. Mm. Why would you ever listen to this? This is this is the line at which I this is where I draw the line. I can't listen to this music." Mm. Um, and that was probably spurred on in a way by that attitude. It's like, "Fuck you! Have you heard those drums? Listen to that." It's and and then that kind of uh, galvanized my opinion that heavy metal vocals like that's that's the equivalent of a distorted guitar or like triggered kick drums that's that's the version of vocals that you have to do to keep up with the brutality mm. because who's singing over that kind of music mm. you know nobody and no bands that i listen to <laughs> i'm sure people are doing it but, <laughs> but who cares <laughs> uh, and again with uh oh well hang on we'll, we'll duck back around to that later but cradle of filth fans don't tend to like that album but like as, as in Damnation a Day was later in their career. Yeah, I was going to ask that um, why that was the option you chose because there's a lot of there's a yeah. lot like they pump out fucking shit. Like how many albums these they days? Got there, like they probably do one a year mm. and have done for maybe seven years now. And yeah. I couldn't tell you, couldn't tell you. But that record just probably came out at the right time. I probably saw a poster or in like a Metal Hammer magazine or something, and they went, okay, these guys look interesting. And then it so was, that was kind of your foray into. Cradle of Filth was that album. It wasn't any yeah. of the previous ones. No, not at all. Because there's a yeah. lot of really iconic ones just before that that I was like, mm. oh, it's weird you didn't pick like Midian or... Yeah, well, I mean, I would eventually go back and find those, but like that was the first step into it. Mm -hmm. um, and it was like high concept kind of... I think it was like really biblical, like heaven and hell... And or like, the, and the album was broken down into like four yeah, movements with yeah, all of these right. like... All of these like interludes in between tracks and it was like... Bible verses being read out over the top. I'm like, whoa, this is like high concept sort of shit. And it kind of sucked me in. Bit, bit more theatre. Yeah. Bit more yeah. theatre than you used to with your um, music. Absolutely. And not like, and all from Danny Filth because he's like a wordsmith as well. So the lyric book, you were like this, like paragraphs of shit mm. to read to you. Like, whoa, what is this? And yeah, like that, that really, that, that really hooked me in. Um, and which leads into the next one, which is Dimmu Borgir's Death Cult Armageddon. Which is um, like, that's your watershed moment, right? Like, well, yeah, it is, I suppose. Like, they're still my favourite band. And not to mention that their most recent records probably don't hold up in the same way, but who's do, I suppose. It's but, true. Once they start getting those neon lights with the pentagrams and stuff, yeah, that it's new, a bit funny. it was just like, what the fuck is yeah. this? Like, so, some prop oh. guy had to make a pentagram <laughs> out of, like, LED stripping, and it just feels really... Okay. I can do that, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> you need two of them? Radio. <laughs> it really takes away from the brutalness when you think about that. When, like, yeah, we want, like, a, mm. like or some art director's like, yeah, I'm going to, like, do a pentagram in LED lights. It's going to be sick and shag. It's like, yeah, sweet, whatever. Like, does oh. he care? 
I don't know. It's tough to know because it gets a bit funny these days with their white tassel leather and stuff. Mm. You're like, ah, oh, yeah, it's cool-ish. You know, I can see wh- how you ended up there. But man, but, that clip for fucking, man. what's that, Progeny of the, of the Great Apocalypse or whatever, like Fuck, that clip yeah. rules. Yeah, and it's Oh, man. But, it, but it, I watched it back just recently and it's on YouTube, but it's like that Vivo style where it's like the 280p, 240p or whatever. Mm, four by so, three aspect ratio. <laughs> so it just looks like shit. But then like, even in that, I think, doesn't like the, the big portal thing open at the top and then Shagrat's eyes glow with pentagrams yeah, yeah. at some point. You're like, okay, that's a little much at the time. But at the time when we were watching that as like teenagers, it was actually oh, man. the coolest thing ever. So, so cool. And production quality, massive, like recorded with a symphony and or like recorded with an orchestra and a choir. And it's just so, so mega. And that kind of marked their turning point as well for mm. their like like if, if they had have continued on that path they would be like stadium level kind of stuff i think mm. um or they would have you know shit the bed like cradle of filth who knows it's impossible to say but there was like you know anyway so i remember hanging on to cradle of filth because i like i really liked them but then this dimmy band like it took me a while to jump across to them um but in hindsight that was, yeah, that was the right decision, I think. But yeah, Death Cult mm. Armageddon. Production value, mega. Nicholas Barker on drums. Uh, oh, Vortex Mustis. doing those. Must- oh, dude, it's like the, the, the ultimate lineup. Yeah, yeah, Vortex with clean vocals. And Mustis, the young, long, black-haired uh, keyboard player. Like, the whole team. It's it's really like the the, the perfect lineup for that band. Um, Can we talk about yeah. that time when you met Nicholas Barker at that? Was it the <laughs> Brugeria show or whatever? Yeah. Yes, we can. So... All time, all time, most influential drummer. Um, he's at the merch desk, surrounded by people, and he's just like he had this look on his face. Not that, not that it was like a get away from me, and it wasn't like I'm sick of this, but it was like I'm kind of dealing with this. And uh, I saw a couple of people go up and say good day and shake his hand, and then Prezzo, Dan Presland, kind of elbowed me. He's like, "Go on, mate, go say good day to him." And I walked up and I said, uh, "Hey, Nick," and I shook his hand. I'm like, uh, "Massive fan, love to meet you." Have a nice night. And then I bailed because I didn't want to take up too much of his time. You didn't want to be like, hey, man, I picked up drums because of you. Like, yeah. I got better because Kings of Carnival Creation on the previous record. <laughs> exactly. Um, um, but yeah, yeah, no, excellent times. So excellent times. That was, yeah. and I think that was pretty big commercially as well. Like, maybe mm. not in sales, but it was definitely everywhere. Like, I think we've talked about this before on the podcast, but. It was two different tracks from that album were in the Hellboy movie trailer. That's right. And I remember, remember, yeah. I don't, I think we knew we'd listened to that album already. So when Mm. that trailer came out, and I was pretty keen for a movie called Hellboy based on a comic book that I hadn't read yet as a teenage boy. (laughs) And then to hear, like, because they have the eradication instincts to find playing at one point when they're moving through the halls, and then they have progenies at the end when, like, Ron Perlman Hellboy's fighting some fucking giant Cthulhu thing or something. So it was like a pretty cool time and that was very clever of whoever cut that trailer to put those tracks in there because mm. it was perfect. Like it was a perfect marrying of that heavy metal nerd culture that was kind of around at that time and like the, what would they have been like early 2000s? Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it's it became like it was, it was, it kind of burst through the like the, like I know they're not true, but like black metal universe because... Regular people knew Death Cult Armageddon, mm. you know, like re- like people wearing Parkway Drive t-shirts knew Death Cult Armageddon or at least knew of it. Mm. So I think you're right. It really did kind of rocket them to like the limelight in some way. Yeah. If they just kept doing mm. all those like early stuff, like that kind of more 
black black metal. It's like mm. you know, you're not going to get as far as when you start, you know, dressing it up, put some tassels on it, you know, put a <laughs> exactly synth in right. there, exactly right. <laughs> put some clean vocals, you know. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And like that was a huge influence on Lamorte as well. The band we, <laughs> we were both in. Like, it's we were, about the only influence. <laughs> I think I was pretty influenced by Danny Fields' vocals more oh, than yeah, Shagrats. But fair. you're right. The band itself, when oh it comes God. to like writing, you're playing Dave's guitar bits. Like it was all pretty much Jimmy Borgia worship, mm, right? Absolutely. Yeah, it so truly was. That's why, listeners, it is the watershed moment for Matt Cleary. Mm. So does that round out your five, your that's first the, five? That's the very first five, yeah. All right, cool. Um, I Before we jump into mine, I had originally Cradle of Filth in mind as well. Because as I was following your kind of format, I'm like, I probably need to have this, I probably need to have that. And mm. I put Bittersweets to Succubi in. Ooh, yeah. But the reason why was because we used to do a cover of Born in a Burial Gown. In La Morte. Yes. Do you remember that? I do, yeah. So, like, I still know all the lyrics to that song <laughs> from having to, like, read that fucking novel and then have to sing it live. And then when I put it back on, I was like, oh, man, this song's fucking awesome. For sure. Um, there's a couple of other good tracks on that uh, album, but then it eventually came back mm. out because what we were talking about before, it's like, oh, I actually really don't know that album that well. And if I was going to do Cradle of Filth, I'd probably mm. do Midian. Because that, yeah, that's, that that's album probably fucking fair. rules. And it's got heaps of bangers on that one. Yeah, yeah like Lord of sure. Abortion, which is my favourite. Mm. Cradle of Filth song Which was used in the Cradle of Fear movie trailer The terrible Cradle of Filth movie That I still have on DVD to this day Yeah With the red The plastic red yeah. DVD case It's like yeah, oh, yeah It was put out by Umbrella Entertainment Here in Australia What up Umbrella um, <laughs> Thanks for putting out All these sweet indie movies In Australian distribution um, Yeah and it was Yeah red DVD cover We bought it from Sanity And we got out We got Dave from Lamort To go buy it Because he was the only one That could grow a beard He looked the oldest yeah <laughs> So he just went in And bought it And then we watched it that night and then we also put on a strobe machine, uh, a st- strobe machine, a smoke machine, and a strobe light after we watched it. And we had like a little metal show in your upstairs living room. Do you I remember, remember that? I do, yeah. Times. <laughs> so, yeah, so Cradle of Filth is something that I feel bad that's not included in my list because of that, but I couldn't really lock it down. And there were so many other things that I needed to do. And I knew you already put Cradle of Filth in yours. So I was like, fuck it, that'll do. We could still sure, talk about sure. Cradle of Filth on the podcast and have yeah, it. Yeah, it'll, I'm going to mention. Anyway, so let's do. So, my one, it was very similar to yours, but I made it a little bit different and I kind of added in some extra stuff. And I had a fucking mad emo streak that you didn't have until later when emo was way more brutal. Oh, yeah. So, definitely. Like, uh, so mine goes so 1999 Limp Biscuit, significant other. The reason I had corn in there as well, but I was like, I can't, we can't both start on corn. And realistically, like Limp Biscuit and Corn came for me at the exact same time. Um, my brother, who my brother Gus, who's four years older than me, he had friends at school who had older brothers as well. So all mm. the music kind of filtered down. So it went from like um, this dude Adrian to his brother uh, Steve. So Steve gave it to Adrian. Adrian gave it to Gus, and Gus gave it to me. And I guess in that first round of music, it was like Corn, Limp Biscuit, Tool like the Opiate EP and like Inema, I think. Mm. Um, Fear Factory. Um, what else was kind of in that first run? But I think the thing, like Limp Biscuit, like totally jumped out at me. And I, we've joked about, we talked about it heaps last episode with Mel. I talk about it a lot. I do it at karaoke. I think that was a big thing as well for a lot of these tracks for me was like, do I do them at karaoke? And if so, that probably should be in mm. the list because if the I'm doing a litmus test for... <laughs> yeah, kind of. And like, I am kind of embarrassed about how much of the words I know to all of significant others still. <laughs> Because we put it on in the car, Mel and I put it on in the car in the weekend, and, I, and it was just like, oh, dude, I know all the shit. This is awesome. Mm. And I do distinctly remember a, a drawing that Gus did of Significant Other, and it was like on a big piece of paper that he'd like drawn. I'd stuck it on my door for years. Man, awesome artwork. Yeah. Like crazy artwork. 
shell toes. Like the, yeah. the biggest thing on the front cover like, is that guy's shell toe. It's, he, it's like a, he looks like a Dragon Ball Z rapper. Yeah, you know? it's like wild, it's, huh? It's Wu Tang like, meets fucking anime. Like it's. <laughs> so I think yeah, when you're talking about the cover, like, that really spoke to me more than the girl playing hopscotch on the cliff face or whatever. Mm, yep. Um And then it was just an easy way to to, to change that. To this, uh, I love the music videos as well, as we talked about on the previous episode, mm-hmm, how mm-hmm. they kind of had continuity and there was a real sense of who the band were. And like Wes Borland, like how can you go past like Wes Borland's looks in like Family Values tour or like anytime Crazy. you see him in clips, he's always all like, the time, yeah, all the time. And he's still doing even like Gold Cobra level. He's like, didn't he have like a big shoulder pad and he was yeah, like painted yeah. black? Yep. And it was just like he was always doing whack shit. Man, and there was that time we saw we saw them at Festival Hall and he had like a Daft Punk helmet on. And like a shoulder thing that was like this shoulder armor, but it was all covered in like LED lights that had patterns that would zip across. It was full like dead mouse, Daft Punk <laughs> level shit, but on the guitarist of Limp Bizkit. <laughs> when did you see Limp Bizkit? I wasn't there for this. Oh, was this? I don't even remember. It was at Festival Hall and I don't even remember why I went. Like, I can't remember who I went with. I can't remember who else played. I don't know. It's not until this conversation that I've sort of scratched the dust off of that memory, to be yeah. honest. Um, couldn't tell you much more than that, Amazing. to be honest. Yeah. So, yeah, Limp Bizkit, pretty fucking cool. Fred Durst, like, you know, give, give you can give him as much shit as you want, but realistically, the dude changed everything. Like, Oh, yeah, if he died, then we'd all be like, Fred Durst, man. <laughs> and, like, I think, I think the story, I've, I've heard this, this might have been, like, second or third hand, but I think the story goes that he had, like, some raps that he'd done over some music and then, like, gave it to like John Davis after a corn show. And that's kind of how he got his break as well. So you got right. to appreciate the hustle, you know, just a For dude sure. from Jacksonville definitely coming out. I notice on your list as well, you've got the dates also, 1999. Mm-hmm. So that's the following year after Follow the Leader. Mm. So that makes sense. Yeah, because I think when it comes down to it, it was all happening around the same time. And I think, I definitely remember the Got the Life clip and Freak on a Leash clip and stuff on video hits. But I also definitely remember around that very similar time is uh, Nookie. Like that, mm. that clip as well. Yep, um, yep. Hold on. I have a work call happening right now, so I better probably get that and we'll do a quick pause. Mm-hmm. All right, cool. So anyway, we're back. Um, we're talking about Limp Bizkit. Yep. Way to go. What a guy. Fred um, Durst. Not so much these <laughs> days with that movie directed with John Travolta. Did you, did you know about that? Not at all. No. So there was a movie that just came out. I think it was like last year. It was called, I think it's called The Fan or... That also was a movie with like Wesley Snipes in the 90s, wasn't it? Anyway, John Travolta has a weird haircut and he's like doing a mix of a couple of different potential disabilities. Oh, and he's like a weird dude who stalks. I think it's Devon Sorwa. You know that guy from Idle Hands? God, no, I don't. <laughs> you remember that movie with Seth I remember Green? that name. Oh, he was like a guy Sorry, in the movie. 90s, I think. Anyway, so dude. like Fred Durst directed a movie that's about John Travolta. Like, can you imagine? Like, let's listeners, imagine a world where Fred Durst <laughs> is probably still wearing his like Yankees hat and he's directing... John Travolta to play a weird, unhinged, creepy, slightly potentially disabled, you know, fan who like stalks and kills Devon Sorwa. Is that how you say his last name? I don't know. Devon. Couldn't tell you. Fuck, whatever. Anyway, so he directs movies now. I see. Yeah. Oh, good on him. And I think he has credits for directing a lot of those music videos too. So, you know, he has Mm. obviously had a visual flair because it affected me in some way. So maybe that movie. Yeah, yeah. Might not suck for me. I don't know. I probably would definitely suck. Um, Anyway. We've spent a lot of time talking about Limp Bizkit. Let's move on. I was just um, thinking, actually, this is going to be an extremely long podcast if we spend as much time as we have on the first five. You got time? I've got time. I've got nothing but time. But 
I'm also thinking that these first five are so formative that yeah. it'll it'll zip through to we'll the get, end anyway. I think we'll get faster, yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe we won't. Maybe we'll go for four hours. We'll find out. Um, next one, Slipknot. I did the self-titled. Ooh. Self-titled for me was when I was listening back, I was surprised how many songs were on Iowa that were sick when you said that. And I was like looking on the track listing when we were on the phone talking about it. And I was like, well, yeah, there's a bunch mm. of fucking sick songs on this. Uh, I mentioned My Plague being on the Resident Evil soundtrack in the credits and I was like, oh, fuck yeah. Very good. I think the clip might have even had cut in Resident Evil zombies in the clip too, which was cool. Yeah. But when it comes down to it, I saw Spit It Out on a Rage. Like we used to, Gus and I used to tape Rage as kids and then like go back the next morning and like watch it through. And I remember when I saw that clip, That's a, it's like The Shining. It's like Joey's on a little like trike and it's yeah. like super fucking creepy awesome. and weird and they're wearing suits and masks. And it was like, that changed everything for me. I was just like, whoa. You know, you let the rapping slide in that first album that's kind of going on. There's a lot of rapping and scratching going yeah, on, right. but still brutal. Pretty raw kind of production on that album too. Mm. Like real, it's kind of hard to listen to at first until you get acclimatized to it from yeah. memory I've, again it's been a very long time since i've spun that one <laughs> yeah so uh and then w- when listening to that as well lately again when thinking about this list i was like oh yeah no nah, i do know all these songs and it is really sick and i remember distinctly which is pretty whack listeners if you think about this i think it was grade four or grade five me and my friend frank brady dressed up as slipknot to a school event like it was like, <laughs> like dress up as your heroes or something. or something yeah kind of thing yeah book, book, week. book week rather and uh i dressed up as Joey Jordison and I got Gus to like fully, we got like a red ski, uh, like overalls essentially and a red skivvy that were pretty matching. And then I got Gus to draw like the barcodes and like the, like we had, I think we had a little strap around one of my arms because that's what yeah. at the time. And we got one of those like typical art school masks, the white mask and we drew the Joey Jordison thing on it. Awesome. So I dressed up as Joey Jordison and Frank dressed up as Corey Taylor. And then ironically enough, we're in some weird twist of fate. I ended up being the singer. He ended up being <laughs> he the drummer. playing drums. Yeah. yeah. Which is pretty cool. So <laughs> something that I don't think teachers probably would have grasped the gravity of that as like a young child dressed as that. But I feel like if they knew what we actually were dressed up as, they probably would have called their parents and been like, mm. put these kids in, you know. <laughs> Some kind of watching state, um, which is pretty cool. So, yeah, I think that's probably... I didn't dress up as Slipknot in primary school because of Iowa. I did it because of that self-title. So, that's mm. why I picked that one. Uh, next one is all about you, 2001, God Hates Us All. <laughs> we would have got into this probably in about 2004 or 2000, 2004, year 10. Yeah, that's probably right. Yeah, yeah. I remember you yep. gave me like a burnt copy of God Hates Us All and I was like, this... This is fucked. This is awesome. And it was like the first time that you and I went to a Catholic school and all boys catholic private mm. school in geelong and i think there's nothing better to put that middle <laughs> finger up than like listening to Dude, slayer in class absolutely that while front cover to do oh, re. holy shit now were there two front covers or so, was one a single cover so in mine it's just the white one with the gold crosses that are all like circle, in a circle yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but you had like a you had like a fucking nailed bible yeah bleeding a bleeding bible with yeah. nails in it was like, that that's on, pretty was that fucking on t- like a piece of like, was it a merch? Was it a t-shirt or oh, something? I couldn't even tell. I might have printed it out and made my own burnt copy, you know, bootleg <laughs> so I CD. I also distinctly remember that as well, which is so brutal. And uh, yeah, that, that album rips. Like, Dude, it's pretty gnarly. And I know that when people are like, you know, talking about Slayer, it's like, oh, why don't you put in, you know, like there's so many South other... South of Evan. Uh, of course you could. Yeah. But, yeah, yeah, but yeah. for us, that was That's it. mega. That was like the opening door. And I think that was the same time that when you and I started hanging out, which was like year 10, that's when you introduced me to like, Cray Filth, Dimu, mm. Slayer, all that kind of stuff. Like, I think before that, I think it was just new metal and like Marilyn Manson and mm. stuff probably was around that same time. Marilyn Manson was another one that I was like, ooh, does that go in there? Yeah, Almost. there were some good times. 
with him for sure. <laughs> but yeah, I feel you. Like I guess, I guess because that was like around the formation of of Lamorte at the time, right? So music became like the forefront because it was influencing the band as mm. opposed to being something that you just chuck on in your spare time. It became like it started to be what defined me mm. at least. And then, yeah, we crossed paths and I was, I just remember like going, yeah, listen to this because then join my band, you know. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the prerequisite for getting in the, you know. Yeah, if you like this and you could potentially do vocals like that, you're in. And that was kind yeah. of, and I think the same thing. I think before that I was very focused on like watching movies and I was like, my identity was based around being like a movie guy. Like I've seen all Tarantino and Scorsese and I'm like 13 or whatever. And it's like, yeah, that's cool. But then once, yeah, music really opened the door later. Now, also listeners, something that, almost made it in was the crow soundtrack mm. because for me like it was literally in there and i took it out last night because i was like no nah, it doesn't count you can't put a compilation <laughs> you can't. but then but it, but it was quite formative because it was dark and edgy and there was like nine inch nails in there and a couple of other things that i have since become really big like you know uh, fans of but i think that was what the focus was first and then it became this mm. and this is when like the path really starts so that's why for i sure. did that as a third one um the next one is the haunted made me do it that was in, that was out in 2000, but I probably would have got into this about 2005. Mm. So I was working at Macca's and there was a guy named Adam who worked there and he used to do like the close closing shift. So you get to bring in your boom box and like play music <laughs> while you like scrape down all the grills and like wash everything <laughs> and uh, all that kind of stuff. So we used to do closes together and I'd be like wearing like the gum boots and the big gloves and apron, like spraying stuff down with the industrial hose. And he'd be like, you're into metal, yeah? And I'm like, yeah, I'm into brutal stuff. And he's like, oh, have you heard this? And he put, made me do it on. I just remember it blew my mind, like that yeah. Swedish, that Gothenburg-y kind of sound, man. Awesome. Like, which I guess when you when you talk about like, I guess the lineage of music and like that Swedish Gothenburg-y um, melodic death metal sound, I guess that influences so many bands now, especially like in the scene, like metalcore. Oh, absolutely. Completely comes from that. So it was an easy way for me to catch you know, like Parkway Drive, Killing with a Smile didn't make it in, or like mm. even I Killed the Prom Queen, music for the recently deceased, the yep, one they yep. did after they kicked Crafter out, and then Crafter came back and re-recorded over that album That's with right. his own vocals. Yeah, but the Ed Butcher vocals, the dude from the UK, the UK that was guy. another one that I was like, because that I think that was produced by like the Soil Work guy or something, wasn't it? Uh, or- Frederick Nordstrom, the same guy that did the the like my two all-time Dimu records. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. So they got him. I to do reckon the prom that queen was stuff. like a that was a deliberate move, you know? Yeah. Like, oh, they needed to yeah. up the ante because Adam sure. D did Killing with a Smile. That's so they're right. Like, oh, we need well, to get. Well, let's go to fucking Nordic Town. Yeah. And it sounded sure. great. So I think the Haunted made me do it is something that I still listen to all the time. Mm. Like a bunch of those tracks are in my gym playlist because they're just like ultimate pump up. Um, for sure so that that made it in there so thanks Adam from Maccas for introducing me to that in like a little red boom box that we used to bring yeah. into work and then like just crank that like in could you imagine Maccas playing that like that's pretty sick Geelong West Maccas man I, hood. the haunted I never really realised their lineage until fairly recently that like at the gates and stuff are, are part of their history mm. and I always lumped them in with early Black Dahlia which was always lumped in with early metalcore mm. and for me as like a Dimmu Borgia kid in in like year 11 I was like that's not for me I fucking shave my head and I wear camo pants and mm. my school shoes are army boots <laughs> that is true your school shoes were like, army boots which I yeah. which I have now stolen those boots and still wear them to this day <laughs> they're good boots but great boots man like I just remember thinking the haunted are in that bag mm. and they're not for me and it wasn't until uh, fairly recently that I realised that they're legit. They're in the you know? scene category, yeah, mm. and that's a, again why I put them in there because it, it's it's a it's a it was an, it's a cheap way for me to like not have to put like a bunch of scene bands in there, and that's kind of a bit of a catch all because that's kind mm. of where in my head 
and in my journey, that's where it kind of began. Um, and then I've gone full emo on the next one, which is Three Cheers for Sweet Revenge, My Chemical Romance. Ah, um, uh, yes. That's like, listeners, I'm not going to hide from this, man. Like, I know other people would be like, <laughs> My Chem. And I'm like, dude, I fucking love My Chemical Romance. I fucking love them like, so much. And I still listen to that album all the time. Um, for me, that was the beginning of, and that was the beginning of Girls, man. I listened to that album because as a girl, I had a crush on that, uh, had that as a MySpace backdrop. Like the whole thing, the album, mm. which is like a painted two faces it's very emo but then you couldn't read the myspace page because it was just like really bad <laughs> web design because you're just like you can't read her favorite uh, things and i can't you know you have to like do the highlight and then read it but well i mean it was clear what her favorite thing was <laughs> that album it yeah. didn't matter <laughs> if you just if you just say you like that you might have a crack um yeah but uh yeah and i, I still love that record and i'm actually genuinely bummed that i didn't get to see them at download because mm. i was like man and i got like such a respect for Dreadway. like he has gone on afterwards to marry the bass player from Mindless Self-Indulgence and have a bunch of rad kids um, and then start a comic book. Uh, well, he started writing for Dark Horse and then made the Umbrella Academy, which became the Netflix show. He won Eisner Awards for that, which is like the Oscars of comics. Far um, so he was just like, yeah, I guess. And, and he was working at DC Comics before that. I don't know if I've talked about this on the podcast before, but I'm going to fucking do it again because <laughs> fuck yes, he's awesome. He was working at DC Comics as like an intern in like the late 90s and was like walking the halls when like Grant Morrison was walking around. He's like, whoa, I can't believe it. And he's like all excited. And then 9-11 happens. And he's like, fuck this. I'm going to start a band. Like life is short. I'm Mm. in New York when this is happening. Like, fuck it off. Starts a band. First album is complete rubbish because they recorded it in like a day. Got straight on the like warp tour. And then next minute, the next album comes out. Like I think it was like eight months afterwards or something. And then that thing is like the opus. It's like, this is it. This is this is this new sound. We've nailed it. No one else try it awesome um and it's you know there's lots of like imagery in there and like oh man it's sick i love it for sure i know nothing about it (laughs) yeah you can you can give it a bit of a spin and they've got rad film clips man and i think a big thing for me is like if the film clips rule that makes me like the band even more like there's one of them for Mm. i'm not okay which is like it's set like a romantic comedy in high school and they're all like misfits and they're all like trying to get the girls and there's like jock dudes picking on them and stuff so it was very like perfect for that time like yes, okay. they knew their audience they nailed it um you know huge production i think a lot of their clips were directed by mark webb who ended up going to do 500 days of summer with zoe deschanel and joseph gordon levitt and then he went and did the two bad spider-man movies mark webb did oh, some well. spider-man movies at the, there was a lot of puns in the movie journalism world at the time when that was happening but anyway so the clips were sick and i was super into it and it was like yeah and that's when i was like uh i had my hair inadvertently cut off without me kind of knowing that's a whole story for another time but once i had the fringe and it was in i was like fuck it i'm in i'm in Lean this in. now i'm yeah, just gonna right. <laughs> i'm gonna go go see parkway drive um yeah. <laughs> cool so anyway that's like our formative teenage years done we're mm. moving on to number two now for you you ready yeah so this the sixth one should probably have been in the first bracket because it's Demi Borgia's puritanical euphoric misanthropia which was the album that came out two years prior to death cult um but i just sort of you know again being the age i was death cult was at the time so through digging back uh for me that's like the ultimate Demu album it is like it's it's blistering drums it's so fast the riffs and the guitar tone mm. are just so thick and heavy it's it's just amazing it's it's so brutal man i have distinct memories of jamming when we were teenagers and like dave could do the riffs for like kings of the carnival creation yeah i could do the vocals but like you were like the I just drums, those drums i couldn't believe those drums like nicholas barker full sound replaced triggered drums and it's just blistering and it's creative but 
it's just so pummeling. Like it's somehow, you know, like I remember when I started playing drums, um, my drum teacher was all about rudiments and practice and, and playing them. I'm like, I just want to play as fast as possible. And he's like, but that's not creative. I'm like, it is. <laughs> Listen to that. <laughs> it is creative <laughs> within the metal walls, you know. It's still okay. And it's, it's just so, so blistering. There's so many sick songs. And that guitar tone alone makes that album mm, so, super so evil. Oh, man. Sounds it's, evil it's, as fuck. Yeah, it's just, it's just nuts. But even nuts. like uh, Puritania, that song on that oh. album is like, it's so sick. It's so cinematic. I think they used it at the start of CKY3, I think, if I remember correctly. So I remember when we were watching that and like Tony Hawk is there and they're like wrecking a Ferrari and setting mm. on fire or something and they're playing that... Yeah, It's like, oh, this is fucking crazy. Like, yeah. Awesome, huge, huge. Again, album. there's a, a bit of bit of regret for not putting any demo in my twenty, but then fuck it, you've got two. That's yeah, yeah, exactly. That's that enough. that's fair. Um, but you can sort of see how that led on to to become Death Cult. You know, it was instead of uh, keyboard synthesized orchestra, it was like, well, fuck it, we've got some money now. Let's get choirs and get orchestras and mm. really lean into the cinem like the cinematic side of things. Mm. Um, but it's that's like I guess it's like you flip the dial between full band with a touch of symphony and then the next record is full band with full symphony you know mm. like you kind of trade off a little bit um so i think the songs are better written on puritanical um but that today still holds up as probably my favorite Dimmy record for sure yeah. what's next next up uh we have immortal sons of northern darkness oh yeah that was another big influence on the mord as oh, well and huge you know huge so sick but like there's only i, I really can't stand goofy metal like, there's only two people who can get away with being goofy in heavy metal that I can pull off the top of my head right now, and I'm happy to stand by it. Um, one of them is Devin Townsend. I was going to say, is it Devin Townsend? Um, and the other one is Abath. Mm. Like, he is a like a booze-drinking, like, Gene Simmons-style, like, frontman, like, character, but also makes this music that's just blistering. It's so, so gnarly. Mm. And um, Sons of Northern Darkness, yeah, that, like, just the kick sample like the, the 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 triggered kick sample is just heavy on that record and the guitars are like like it relies on bass because uh because the guitars are so thin and and like and and frostbitten and just like they're just so sharp it's it's amazing it's such a great record and again really leaning into the theater and like because because Blasherk is like the the mythical land that Abath made up about the like to 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 feed into the lore and the mythology around his band yeah like it's so sick but without being nerdy and lame. Yeah, it's you know? <laughs> so funny. There's this weird link between like black metal and like Lord of the Rings style. Mm. Like, there's a lot of like Lord of the Rings like uh, orcish words in Absolutely. like black metal albums and yeah, stuff yeah, like yeah. that. And it's such a weird link. Mm. But yeah, you're right. And then Man. they go off and make their own. So it's like it's not power metally, but it's still, yeah, but it's like brutal. It's yeah, without going down the path of Blind Guardian, where yeah. it's a bit like oh, you're a nerdy guy, you know. Like this is still like got tats and long hair and corpse paint and leather and stuff. It's yeah. fucking. But if yeah. he's playing D and D, it's like in quiet. It's not. Yeah, he's not yeah. vocal about his D and D love. <laughs> like like our corpse grinder loves World of Warcraft. He loves know? it. <laughs> Doesn't he have like a horde tattoo on his arm? Probably. I think? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that sounds like something to do. That's wild. I guess once you get to that age and then you're like touring all the time, you just yeah. get like a laptop and a connection. You can just, you know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, there absolutely. A, there's a famous baseball player. I can't remember his name, but he um, like put all of his like money that he had from like making millions playing baseball into like a game studio because that's what he would do. He would like hmm. play baseball and then he would, you know, play video games or whatever. <laughs> and then awesome. he, he ended up making a game with Todd McFarlane. Again, second time Todd McFarlane's come up in this podcast, creator of Spawn. And they made this game together, but then it like 
tanked because they had massive plans to make like an MMO and a separate game and a this and the first one didn't go very well so then it didn't end up happening but I can't remember the cunt's name. Wild. Um, but yeah, there nerds. You go. They're everywhere. Secret they nerds. They are, they're yeah. Sports, secret nerds. They're in music. <laughs> they wear leather and hold guitars. And <laughs> swing baseball bats. Uh, all right, cool. What's Alrighty. next? Followed up by Psychroptic Scepter of the Ancients. Oh, yeah. Uh, early Psychro, still with Matt Chalk on vocals, like with all the gurgles and gasps <laughs> and inhales and all that sort of shit. Um, and... That came from discovering that CD at the Belmont Library, going through their CD collection and picking up this CD that had an unreadable logo on it, thinking this could be interesting, taking it home and having like my mind blown by it, and then finding out they're from Hobart or from Tasmania, wherever they were at the time. Um, that was wild. I'm like, this is A, blowing my mind with how technical and how wild and how like all the possibilities of drums, but also it's from the country that I'm from. Like Until that moment... Uh, Music or heavy metal was an international uh, pursuit, I mm-hmm. suppose. Um, and it wasn't until then that it was like, holy shit, that, like, we can do that, you know? Like, there's people that, that you know, I now know, <laughs> that I now know yeah. that, that made that album. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's wild. Oh, man, um, awesome. Uh, followed you, up by oh, we've yeah. talked about this before just quickly in the podcast yeah. that you were you were like slightly nervous when we interviewed Dave Haley back in the day yeah the first Keir like, Solomon shit. one I'm like holy shit this dude's like a legit drumming idol of mine um, and it yeah and he lives in Melbourne I'm, I'm in his in his rehearsal space and now I'm going to have to yeah. talk to him for two hours and now <laughs> I'm going to have to hold the conversation like I'm the host what the hell <laughs> yeah meet your um, idols kids meet your idols yeah well that one paid off that was that was great <laughs> Alrighty, uh, following up from Psychroptic is The Darkness, Permission to Land. Oh, yeah. Uh, so, this was given to me alongside um, uh, One Way Ticket to Hell and Back, which is a, you know, a bit of a, a, bit of a uh, contradictory album title, One Way <laughs> Ticket and Back, uh, by a fellow named Sam Penny, uh, again, high school alumni for the two of us. He introduced me to bands, uh, to heavy, like brutal bands. Uh, he gave me Decapitated's first couple of albums on an MP3 disc. Ooh, yeah. Um, but then also gave me uh, the first two Darkness records on an MP3 disc uh, that I chucked in the car and just fell in love with. It was like I remember working at Target as a 15-year-old, working in the sound department, unpacking CDs and having to stack CD singles and stuff on the wall. Unpacking the, uh, the, 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 the single for Growing On Me, the darkness growing on me. And the front cover is Justin Hawkins, like lower stomach tattoo just above his belt line. And it's like, a, it's like flames above his belt line. And then it was like this sort of like bum fluffy, hairy male stomach. And I remember picking it up thinking, this is super shit. I hate this band. And like, uh, I believe in a thing called love would have been on video hits or yeah. on the radio at the time. And I just remember really disliking it at that time. But then I got, both of those albums on one MP3 disc and listen to it. And I'm like, oh my god, there's riffs. The like the song content is funny. It's yeah. kind of controversial because it's like heaps about like drug abuse, uh, like buried in metaphors and stuff. It's like very Oscar Wilde, like oh, Russell Brandy, like absolutely, that kind of yeah, like, like know, yeah. oh man, heaps of fun, but still with chops. And I still still love both of those albums today. Like I would happily listen to any track off of those albums there. Yeah, really, really good. So was there a debate between putting this and then One Way Ticket? Like, why did mm. you pick? I think there's there's a better hit rate on this album mm. uh, than One Way Ticket, but there's still some some ripping songs on, on One Way, Amazing. for sure. Um, what's next? Uh, Behemoth, Demigod, back to brutality. <laughs> yeah. So when did Behemoth come into your life? Because that was kind of later for us. Uh, for me specifically, it was year 11, um, 
Viscom because we used to be able to sit next to a CD player and bring in CDs and spin them. Like we were allowed to bring in our own discs and like listen to our own music with the teacher's permission. And I remember it was you, uh, me, Dave from Lamorte and a guy named Ryan Schmock, oh, yeah. who was a hip hop head from years and years ago. Like his older brother was like a graffiti artist, like verging on the edge of like fucking gangster criminal in Geelong with neck tats when we were in year 11. And his younger brother, Ryan, was our age and sat at our table and like low-key gave us shit about heavy metal, but sat there with us and listened to it all the time. Yeah. It was wild. Yeah. It was like the first time that like, because we were in like a kind of Catholic boys school, there was a lot of hate that we got for having long hair and being in metal bands and Slipknot and you know, all that kind of shit that you get when you're a young kid. But but Ryan was one of those kind of dudes who was just really cool. Like he Mm. was cool with it. He kind of asked questions and it wasn't in like a patronizing way. He was genuinely kind of interested in wanting to know more. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, like a little bit of tolerance guys. So we, so we want, you know, for sure, for sure. And I think that was really nice to have that. Yeah. I'd like to think that there was a few seeds planted in his world, you know, like that it's not all garbage. Like it's not all cradle of filth vocals and nothing else, you know? Mm. Um, But who knows? Maybe that's, maybe that's given us a bit too much credit. So where'd you get Um, the behemoth album from then? We're, We're spinning it in that class. Great question where it came from. Could have been a Sam Penny as well, like in the decapitated bag with the guy who gave him the darkness. But I, I don't know where I got it from, but I just remember how heavy and how gnarly it was. Like that was back when Nurgle was still doing like multi-tracked vocal takes. Mm. So it was all like inaudible vocals. Like it was just like a wall of sound and the drummer's stage name's Inferno. And I'm like, oh my God, of course it is. And the riffs are just heavy 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 gnarly riffs with uh, yeah impenetrable vocals over the top mm. so sick so fast backed up by the apostasy the following record which was a little bit more distilled and then that would lead them you know toward like the satanist which was like a formidable game-changing black death metal record when it came out yeah i was wondering why you mm. didn't put the satanist in as mm. your one it's just because it got you later like the- yeah it just got me later like it's a it's an excellent excellent record um but then you know nurgle's now like an instagram celebrity yeah you know off the back of it and i don't care that wasn't so he on much. some kind of like norway's got talent or something wasn't he like, like a judge judges? or something yeah yeah, yeah that- he might have been actually um so but weird. yeah i don't know it just kind of lost me with his with his like influencer vibe on instagram like i don't know wide brim hats and capes and shit in video clips but isn't that just because like, oh yeah but i was gonna say like the, the hat thing as well with the was mm. it me and that man or whatever the, the solo <laughs> stuff he does yeah is yeah he, is he actually doing like he does i haven't listened to that yet is me it country? don't know don't know haven't touched it i know i won't like it <laughs> <laughs> I know I won't like it. that's awesome we'll have to give it a crack at some oh, point yeah right? maybe yeah. maybe it'll get you later in life maybe, maybe. we'll be like a top yeah. 50 when you're dead it'll be uh, <laughs> yeah um yeah, but that is the that's the next um, that's the next bracket of five. Oh, okay, cool. So I guess for my this next bracket for me, this was kind of like, you know, like the scene stuff is kind of over. I was like eighteen. I'd finished school. I was working at JB Hi-Fi, and then everyone's music taste in JB Hi-Fi was really diverse and interesting. And like, mm. it, it felt a little bit like working in like a high fidelity kind of record store, and that everyone was kind of spinning stuff all the sure. time. And there's a lot of stuff going on. So this was really hard for me to kind of put all this together because this era I guess is my early 20s these five mm. so first one I did was Justice Cross or like you know the, the cross emoji yes. or whatever um, that was like the first time I heard electronic music that I was really into mm. that was like the beginning of like you know we were going out to clubs and they're playing a lot of techno and stuff and you're not really that into it but then this was like oh it's sick it's kind of mm. heavy glitchy and then, yeah. yeah and like French and kind of weird and a little bit dark and they do like I think they did like a Metallica cover live in one of the live ones and it's like metallica but it's like with like the 
electronic drums over the top or whatever. And I was like, oh, sweet. These dudes get it. Yeah, man. And that for me opened the door to a lot of electronic music. So when it was like, do I put like Carpenter Brute in there or yeah, like these kind yeah. of bands? I was like, nah, I think Justice, that, that first album for me was like huge. Like, for sure. Yeah. Bloody like, Beetroots, all that sort of yeah. Euro leather jacket, long hair, having electronic music is well, like perturbators seeds. You yes. know, that's, that only exists because of that crossover and that that bloody beetroots romba rama album or whatever mm. it was we listened to that so much yeah, and yeah. then i guess like with the steve aoki like link <laughs> yeah, yeah. and then steve aoki's doing like refuse stuff which pops up later in my list like it all kind of made sense together mm. you know and like yeah they first wore venom masks that's stage, right which was yeah. like sick venom but then it became more like oh it's just one dude who's like got really long hair and smoke ciggies and like with <laughs> you know yeah. like sweet yeah. sunnies and like it was you know that Rocksteady clip, man. Fucking Dude, wins. still still a sick so clip. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, that's where all that starts for me. Justice, cross. Uh, next one, Nine Inch Nails. Now, I'm a huge Nine Inch Nails fan. Anyone who's listened to this podcast probably already knows that. Anyone who knows me probably knows that. So, it was very hard for me to pick just one album. So, I picked a double album. <laughs> <laughs> so, I picked The Fragile. That came out in 1999, but I probably would have gotten into it a little bit later. Um a good friend of mine, Dan, who has since passed away, which is very sad, but he was a huge influence on me in music, movies. We worked together at a video game shop called Game Rush when I was 16. We also worked together at JB Hi-Fi um, and they were like some special times. And He was really into Nine Inch Nails and I always kind of thought of them when I was like a brutal metal teenager. I was kind of like, ah, oh, yeah, it's not as brutal, you know, like it's not heavy or it's not kind of accepted in the world mm-hmm. of metal, you know. It was kind of more in the kind of grungy Lollapalooza 90s kind of scene. So I think I'd kind of put it to the back of my mind. But like I said, it, that Dead Souls Joy Division cover on uh, the Crow soundtrack was sick. Yeah, right. But then I guess The Fragile for me was like the first time when I really like listened to an album in full, you know, like really like sat down and like, processed it and there's a lot going on there and there's like little cues that might be played in one song that's played again in another song like on the second half on the right side awesome. or the left side or whatever so it, it was it was like an odyssey like yeah yeah, yeah. It was my first real foray into like really getting into that and there's some fucking banger tracks on that as well um so i'm gonna go with the fragile for that um oh another key note is in the 300 movie trailer they use the song just like you imagined in it so it's like you know you've got like cool sexy slow-mo spartans and they're like playing nine inch nails and like elephants are stomping on yeah. stuff and i was just like this is awesome like fuck yeah so that all kind of came around the same time um next one oh you sent this to me ghost opus eponymous <laughs> so i remember Sick. i was sitting i was at tafe doing my like video class or whatever and you sent me a link to that ghost record and you were like you gotta check this out man you gonna fucking love it <laughs> and i remember i think the first song i put on was like death now or one of the kind of later tracks in the album and i was like this is sick and then the more i started thinking about it it's like it sounds like scooby-doo music <laughs> but like way more evil but like but i couldn't oh, help even with the cover of that first album and like the fact that there was no pictures of them and there was no kind of it was a lot of mystery around it it did feel like mm. shaggy and scooby are like running down like creepy castle hallways while that music was playing <laughs> awesome and uh so that's always stood out for me and, and they're still such a sick band and and then the mm. more it's gone on it's become more theatrical more crazy more you know like it's yeah. so nuts man so yeah but that that first oh yeah man that first album was sick um next one i've got here is dillinger escape plan iWorks. uh dillinger escape plan up there with nine inch nails is one of my favorite bands of all time so it was again very hard to pick a dillinger album Definitely not the last one. Didn't really rate that one. But all the other ones. <laughs> um, 
were amazing. And I guess Ioworks I chose because, well, A, it's probably got the best cover, so it looked real good. And there's some real fucking great tracks on there. like And tracks that were kind of a little bit more accessible, like Milk Lizard, that's mm. like, it's pretty rocky and it's pretty steady the whole time and it's not just like noise. Because if you put on Dillinger mm. for someone, they're like, what the fuck is oh, this? Oh, it's complete chaos, which it still is for me yeah. at the best of times. Like, where does this... Uh, in their discography, where does this show up compared to Miss Machine? Because that's so the only this, one I really know. So Miss Machine was the first album they did with Greg, their singer. The, before that, they had a previous yes. guy. Um, and they did that one, Calculating Infinity. And then they did, uh, when he left, they got Mike Patton to do like that's a full right. track EP, which was real sick. And then Greg took over from there. So he's essentially just doing Mike Patton mm, mm. and kind of did the whole time. Um, but Miss Machine was that one. And then the next one after that was Iworks. Right, okay. Um, fucking just knocked my socks off I didn't even know and I was thinking about this I was trying to think how I got onto Dillinger I can't even think I think it was just one of those bands that back around in the scene days they were known because they were so psycho you know like mm. bands like The Locusts or of course yeah, things yeah, were just yeah. like you put it on almost as a laugh you're like check this thing out <laughs> yeah. but then I don't know what kind of grabbed me about it. I guess it was just its intensity and like there's a real fun in discovering the album because you don't know where the songs start and end so like if you just put it on when you're in the car, you just kind of like because it's like dun 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 dun. Of course, you know, and then yeah. you're like, is that like a start of a song or is that in the middle of a song or is that at the end of a song? Like, and you just start to just it just becomes one big flow. And then the part that's real special to me is when you start being like, oh, that's the start of this song. I really like that song, you know. Mm, and then mm. they all start to get their own, and you slowly start to figure the album. Out. It's almost like, yeah, it's like a fun little you know game to kind of you know yeah. on top of listening to the record. It's like. You know, I don't know. You got to kind of like figure it out a little bit more and get a little bit deeper in it, and start to pick mm. out little bits of words, and then you know, obviously the live shows are insane. Oh man! So yeah. you know, that's a big part of it as well. Because I try, I had to think a lot about with these, you know, influential albums. They might be influential, but it's like, did you see it live? You mm. know, like was yep. it when you saw it live? Was it, it was influential? Which is a couple of these on this list as well. Um, funnily enough, the next one that'll take straight into the next one, the last one, uh, Electric Dynamite, Hair Denim, Sex Metal. Man, what an album! So like I. I was chatting with Dwayne Jackson uh, the other day on the phone and uh, I was saying, hey, dude, I'm actually putting together this top 20 thing and it's in there. And he's like, <laughs> oh, man. And I was like, no, 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 because seriously, like it was. It was influential. It's like, oh, man. Because like I was working on a bunch of their film clips. I just moved to Melbourne at the time. I remember distinctly there was like a four weeks they did like a month residency at Yaya's on a Thursday and I went like every Thursday night that month to see them <laughs> and they were playing with different bands. Bands like I think Party Vibe supported them one week. And uh, yeah, I was having a sick time and seeing those guys and, and just like, I guess what you were talking about before was Psychroptic when you're like, it's a band from Australia. Mm, like absolutely. This, was a, this was a band full of people we knew. Like, and they For were making sure. like, this, they made this amazing Man, 80s so fucking heavy metal record. Like it sounds awesome. The, yeah. the solos are amazing. For like, sure. It's just huge. And there's like heaps of fucking like, you know, Sarah Lim doing like the backing vocals on some of the tracks. Fantastic like, harmonies. Absolutely. So, so good. good. And um. Like considering where they came from too, like they always had the like the leopard print on stage and like the high falsetto-y vocals, but then they busted a breakdowns with brutal stuff because they played with scene bands at the mm. time. But then this is where they like they ditched all of that sceney stuff and kind of matured and fell into what they. Yeah, know. it wasn't a joke like a like a Morning Tide or a Wendy yeah. Icon or yeah, those yeah, other yeah. kind of bands. It was like, we're glam now. It was like bands kind of just might have changed their name or did whatever and then became like a kind of eighties metal. But that was the first time, yeah, you were right. It didn't Man. feel like it was seeing dudes trying to do heavy metal. It was like just sick record. That's right. And I think it was recorded at least in part by uh, Lord Tim from Lord. 
Oh. Yeah, in Sydney, I assume, like at his own studio, like Lord Tim is the guy behind that, and that was no doubt an influence in some way because, you know, Lord uh, Power Metal. Fuck yeah. Mm. Well, Dwayne is going to have to come on the podcast pretty soon so he can tell us. <laughs> he is going to have to, yeah. Yeah, oh, fuck it, oath. I've wanted him to come on from the get-go. Um, <laughs> especially because when we had him on Keith Solomon back in the day, we, the, the, the card fucked up, didn't it? And then when we recovered it, it sounded kind of dodgy. But we I remember having anyway. to put work into, yeah. I remember having think, like thinking, oh man, that was such a great episode full of so many good nuggets and then it sounded shit mm. and uh you know you guys know how i hate fucking bad sounding podcasts so you know you'll have to come on and, and do that yeah all right we're moving on to tier three now oh, i was at the end of side. yeah okay. that's very it. good very good let me just find my see we're note. doing all right we're yeah, like okay. an hour in and zipping through that's good uh okay what are we up to so from demigod demigod in 2004 the next one up is arsis we are the nightmare mm. so this is Right in the middle of a Fallen Theory band zone. I remember I got given an MP3 disc that was just loaded with scene bands at the time. Like there would have been Bring Me the Horizon and Despised Icon and... Necrophagist. Uh, well, that would have been a bit later. Oh, okay. But it was all of that sort of band. This It was sort of like my prerequisite for joining that band. It was mm. like, here, this is what we do. It's like a, a, a mishmash of this stuff. And that never really sunk in for me. Like I started wearing tighter jeans and tighter t-shirts, but I never really really fell in love with that as a as a vibe. Um, but then Necrophar just sort of reared its head because that's when scene bands went, oh, no, we need good guitarists and, like, tech riffs and stuff, like Hiroshima Will Burn and stuff. Like, you remember those, those yeah. like, super tech but still scene bands? Um, and then Arsis released We Are The Nightmare and somebody at Complex Studios, when AFT were recording with Roman... I can't remember who it was now, but they described that album as Necrophagist, but with groove because it's such blistering, sick riffs with groove and flow, but it's still technical. Like, mm. it's still, like, really, really tech, and that's that's a stellar record. Um, the lead guitarist on that album is a guy named Ryan Knight who left uh, Arsis to join Black Dahlia. Years later, he leaves... Uh, he leaves Black Dahlia to continue on with his adult life with, a, like, with children and family and stuff. And the guy that replaced him in Black Dahlia was the guy that replaced him in Arsis. <laughs> this young gun named Brandon Ellis. Brendan, Brandon Ellis. So Arsis um, is just a training ground. It's just ground a proving for- ground for Black Dahlia. So you got to hate that. Like the, the lead singer of Arsis, James Malone, he's got to fucking hate that. Um, like, Stop fucking leaving my band. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, Stella, like unreal drums, like blistering drums, so quick, so tech. And still groovy. Yeah, really, yeah. really, really great record. And a really good album to cement that time that you were in a form mm. theory because, like, it's funny how you track where you were in your life when these al- like these albums kind of mm. shape you and that makes total sense. That, yeah, jeans are a little tighter. I remember that yeah. sleeveless red Arsa shirt you'd always wear still when you were drumming. Yeah. <laughs> Be pretty tight now. There was, like, a huge charge. <laughs> no, no, no. That was that was one of the better fitting T-shirts I think oh, I, I ever had. Yeah. And you haven't changed much in shape your adult life. Like, you've Thankfully, never, like, yeah. You can still wear a lot of those shirts from the U. Alrighty. After Arsis, we have uh, Carcass's Heartwork. Mm. Uh, that comes in the lineup at this time, also because of uh, the Fallen Theory timeline. Uh, but we are now recording uh, what would eventually become an unreleased album with a guy from Geelong originally, now moved to Melbourne, named Dean Wells, uh, guitarist and uh, recording producer guy, uh, plays for Terra Maze these days, or has done forever. Um, he was an influence of uh, one of the guitarists in A Fallen Theory, Matt Dawson. Uh, and I remember thinking that 
this when we record this it has to be heavy it has to be technical it has to be you know all of these things that the bands required were was required of bands at that time and uh wellsy always used to say that heavy isn't a tuning or like a seventh string on your guitar it's a vibe and put forth carcass's heart work as an example of that mm. and that is absolutely true it's got all of those Gothenburgy harmonies with real scratchy, real scratchy death metal vocals, um, and and like the the album mustn't have been recorded to a click because it like pushes and pulls with tempo the whole time, and uh, Surgical Steel wasn't out yet, so that was the only carcass that I could really that was learn the, about. That was the question I asked you. I said, "Why did you put Heartwork? Why and not? Why didn't you put Surgical Steel, which is the superior mm. album?" <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, but Heartwork, yeah, that was that was a real appreciation for. For heavy vibe as opposed for heavy punishment, you know? Yeah, see, this yeah. was something that caught me off guard because Carcass was something that when they were coming out for download, I was like, oh, I should probably check that out. Because mm. before that, I was just thought they were kind of like a gore, yeah, grind kind of Yeah, all of their band. artwork you, would yeah. suggest that, yeah. Based on when we were kids and like, you know, there's like albums where you're like, oh, I'm not going there yet, you know? Like yeah. it was that. And I remember it was just being so brutal. But then when I heard Surgical Steel just recently, Mel put it on or something when we were pre-download. And I was like... This sounds sick. Awesome. Like, yeah. for, like that opening um, intro track kind of oh. sounds like Death Clock. Dude, it's, <laughs> like, it sounds like Brutal Iron Maiden. Yeah. Like it's <laughs> and I was just like, this is amazing. Yeah. Like, Pretty sick. Yeah. Anyway. Sick band. All right, cool. But you but you got Carcass in there, which is good. Yeah. So I don't have to yeah. put it in mind. I don't have to put Surgical Steel <laughs> in my 20. All righty. Next up, we've got Municipal Wastes, The Art of Partying. So it was January of... Oh, that's this is a stretch now. But January of like 2012 whenever we saw them four times in the year that yeah. they toured. We're talking about that on the podcast It was before, just a, sure. like a, a, a serendipitous discovery of, of municipal we, waste. Because we got into them. They played the Artie, which we heard was like the most wildest gig mm. ever. Anyone who was at that municipal That's waste right. show at the Artie. But we weren't there at that time. Cause, no, not at all. Because in my head, municipal waste was like a crossover band. So yeah. it was like if, yeah, you were like, if you were like a tough, hardcore guy, you'd listen to brutal New York hardcore, but you'd also listen to like Municipal Waste. Mm. And for me, like you were saying before with, um, what was the band you said that you, d- you wanted to avoid it? Uh, the Haunted. Oh, <laughs> it yeah, was yeah. kind of like, oh, I think that's not for me. I don't think I need that. And yeah. then we kind of got onto Municipal Waste at the same time. We're like, this is fucking amazing. Oh, dude. So yeah, Toxic Holocaust and Municipal Waste were learned of for me at the same time. And I just remember thinking that, uh, that, that Municipal Waste were everything that people who didn't listen to heavy metal thought heavy metal was mm. like it was fast and yelly and like abrasive Short and songs. silly like it yeah. was it was rad so much fun so much partying like it's just it was just like fun encapsulated in a record yeah um massive sing-along little like bits you know oh, dude so much fun so many beer bongs um, we oh. have drunk I, I the only time yes. i probably drunk the most beer bongs is when <laughs> municipal waste is playing on like mm-hmm. someone's speaker you know wouldn't it even been ue booms back then that's right, yeah. But um yeah, crazy. And then that just that coincided with that year. Um they they toured in support of what album would that have been now? The Fatal Feast, maybe? Anyway, um, maybe not. Whatever. No, nah, whatever maybe it was before it was, that. It was, that have been. was that one uh, massive aggressive? Was it that album? Or was can't that remember. afterwards? I can't, can't remember either. Anyway, they, they toured shortly after the discovery and I was still just like, This these guys are fucking sick. I'm gonna see them as much as they can because they're gonna be playing venues like the Bendigo Hotel where entry is forty bucks. Mm. So I remember you and I caught a flight to Sydney and Brisbane mm. and caught them twice in Melbourne as well. Um, and have a photo with with 
three quarters of the waste at um, Utopia Records in yeah, Sydney. Yeah, Dave Whitty was sick or mm, something. So he right. didn't do the he didn't do the meet and greet. I don't think. But there's like a great photo where it's like we're all stoked, and I think like Landfill is looking at the wrong <laughs> exactly. camera. Like he's just looking in like another direction, which is like classic stoner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So yeah. that that was that was a heap of fun. That was yeah, a lot of beers, a lot of beers sunk to municipal waste. <laughs> I remember specifically when we were in Utopia doing that signing. Someone got them to sign their sandwich press. That's right. And the joke was he got up and he was like, so now it will be made with municipal taste or something. And then like, it was like, oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It yeah. didn't get good as good you. of a re- reaction as we all thought it would in the Utopia store, but it was fucking hilarious. Now, mm. I, like, it's obviously funny because I still remember it now. I don't remember much else about that time. Yeah, awesome. Heaps of fun. Yeah, sick. All right. Next? next up is Baroness's um, yellow and green. Ooh, yeah. uh, and last night I revised and I'm changing it to purple. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, had, I had purple in and then I had to take it out. But we'll talk yeah, about that right. when I talk about mine. But so, um, why, so yeah. you know, we're, we're going to, re, we can refit that for the Instagram. We can say it's purple. Why purple? <laughs> uh, I think purple is just a tighter album. Yes. Like it's like uh, yellow and green is, is a double album. Mm. Really good, but it's padded out a bit more. I think purple is just, yeah, it's a tighter representation of Baroness, still with triumphant, massive sing-alongs, really emotional, heartfelt lyrics and, and melodies and stuff, but just without the filler. Mm. I, think it's, I think it's a better record because of that. Um, but yeah, really, really feely album. But we I got think. into Baroness late. A lot of listeners might mm. be like, oh, no, it's red or blue or nothing, you yeah, know? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Um, but for us, I think I got into Baroness through Greg, who I used to work with. Greg, yeah. if you're listening, yeah, thanks, right. mate. Um, who still never got he like I think he won like a Soundwave prize to get like a signed guitar from John. Oh Basin, my god! But it never happened. Like he just like <laughs> AJ Matter, you yeah, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. So Greg, if you ever got that guitar, mate, I don't think you did because I feel like it would be on Fun, display at his yeah. house. But I'm pretty sure he won this competition, and that's how we. That's how I got onto Baroness because he was like, yeah. oh, you should check this band out," and I was like, and we saw them. Yeah. At the Soundwave, we saw the sideshow with Mastodon. Was yeah, it, was it Mastodon and Red Fang, if I remember that's, correctly? What a sick lineup. Yeah, it was at the Palace. I yeah. remember Red Fang only played for like 30 minutes. And that's we're right. like, oh, yeah. dude. But then, yeah. And then like Brent Hines came out and played uh, A Horse Called Golgotha with them. <laughs> so it was like three yeah, guitars. Mm. Yeah, it was sick. Yeah, but for the purists, I've heard fan theories that because red and blue were mm. earlier in the catalogue, you mix those two colours together, you get purple. Mm. So I think that's an interesting... It may or may not be true, but it's a cool little theory. Um, a cool theory. That's but yeah, nice. And, you know, I've got purple on vinyl and I think my my version of the vinyl has been pressed. I don't know if it's deliberate or not, but on one of the sides, if you let it run so that the needle, you know, would ordinarily stop in the middle and make that little like skipping vinyl noise. So you go, oh, I've got to flip the record over. At the end of the album, it doesn't do that. It just plays perpetually this like ethereal kind of music that never will ever stop. Like it never stops and goes change the record it just keeps spinning in the middle and i don't know if that's deliberate or if it is like if it's a like a printing issue is purple Mm. the one that has like a weird thing at the end like there's an alien voice at the very end of the album yeah this little digitized like yeah 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 yeah. that's the one Mm. because maybe they're trying to pull like a pink floyd where it's like because isn't one of the pink floyd albums it's like there's a vocal line that starts at the end but then it continues at the start of the record so you're supposed to like have it on a loop that's pretty cool i think Pink, that sounds like something they do. Pink Floyd would totally mm. do that kind of shit. So maybe they were trying to pull a bit of that action. Yeah. What else is in your... All right, to round up this bracket for me is uh, Black Sabbath's Master of Reality. See. So this uh, this came after the discovery of Uncle Acid and it was just the like the digging back through who influenced those guys and, and Stoner Rock, like as I think Baroness is kind of a good foothold in Stoner Rock initially because mm. it has all the tropes, but it's still heavier, I guess, mm. metal-wise. More harmonies. Um, yeah, yeah, for sure. Still more metal, you know, more metal vibes. But 
this is undoubtedly the the genesis of stoner metal or stoner rock yeah the, the master of reality like sweet leaf <laughs> is the opening track so sick so many good grooves great great vocals like it's yeah like like ultimate chorus kind of melodies and hooks from a vocal perspective yeah yeah really really awesome and i think it's mm. tricky with like aussie's very distinct vocals that mm. there's only so much you can do with aussie's vocals. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah and i think that that record is like a really good uh, demonstration of like what can be done and what really works and when you get those like you know the Aussie all rights and stuff you're like yeah fuck <laughs> yeah, yeah. like awesome. it just it just really yeah, marries so perfectly whereas like some of 90s Osborne like it's a bit more like yeah, it's not as yeah. you know he's just doing his thing over the you know Zach Wilde whoever's playing for sure for, for him, sure you know? but yeah I, I, still still I think a, an unbeatable record like it was between that or volume four but mm. I think yeah I think this one takes the cake for me mm. Mm. all right um, jumping to my row three. So this was, a, yeah, there's a bunch of stuff in here and same deal as you, you kind of got to just tick boxes now at this point because yes. you're going through yeah. all these different phases. You're, you're influenced by all these things that are coming in. Even the local scene, you know, there was a really big stoner scene at this time as well. Huge. So that was big for us. And I guess, you know, uh, you know, you've got to try and just get one of, one of each. Exactly really. right. It was such a massive scene. I remember Mika Coleman, um, I don't know if he coined the term, but he definitely used it for the first time in front of me. Uh, at that time, it was a doom a dozen because <laughs> there was just doom bands coming out your ears. <laughs> That's amazing. Um, all right. So to start my first one, I did uh, refused Shape of Punk to Come. Now, this for me was a revelation, even though it came out in like when it came out, 98. It was so ahead of its time. I probably only started listening to it in like 2000 and fuck, I don't know, 12 at this point, probably. Yeah, because hmm. I probably started working at Pop Culture then, and I remember one of the dudes at the work uh, at at the in the office part. His name was Rudy. He was like a surfer dude, punk rock dude, into really cool stuff. And he's like, "Oh, you never listened to Refuse?" And I'm like, "Oh, I know New Noise because everyone knew New Noise as a song." And I don't know if you remember the clip, but they're like they're wearing like sweaters and like button up shirts, and like Dennis is like hanging upside uh. down at one point, and there's like bunnies running around during like the weird. Uh, anyway, wild wild clip, and it's a fucking sick song, but I never really delved in to to the band you know like i was never really like oh i'm gonna go check that out mm. but then listening to it years later and being like oh well i love dillinger this is just dillinger like years earlier but it's like a bit more swedish sure There's a lot more fucking like anti-capitalist rants which i'm down <laughs> for my left-leaning ways and uh you know like it was just it blew me away and there's like they kind of do like a Queens of the Stone Age songs for the deaf where there's like bits in the middle and like, like mm. kind of like scanning through radio signals. That's and pretty cool. They do like a hardcore techno mega mix at the one point and it's like, <laughs> there's like dance music in it. And you're like, what the fuck What's is happening? this? You know? So mm. at the time, like people would have just been like, fuck this band. I'm not into this. But then yeah. they, it really was jet, like no pun intended, the shape of punk to come. Like insane, like way to go. And then for them to come back years later and like, reform and still be doing that kind of shit's fucking awesome mm. uh and yeah and that album blew me away and i love it start to finish uh the next one i did dope smoker whoa because <laughs> i was like fuck matt's done sabbath i'm gonna put some stonery shit in here like what else can you do except dope smoker suppose, you know like yeah. hour long song i've never listened to it in its entirety never no nah. really? like i've listened to it I, I, drop off I've, about I've like never made it minutes. through. No chance I've made it through the entire hour and what is it, nine minutes or something. Oh man. So yeah, I just thought that was an easy catch all because I've listened to sure. that. So I've listened to that riff. Like when you're talking about like minutes of listening in your like life or hours of listening, like so much of that is just that one fucking riff. And, <laughs> Crazy. You know, that was Crazy. It. Great artwork. 
with the druids like making across that weedians they're called yeah oh there we go can't you buy those figurines that's like i reckon i've seen them somewhere uh, yeah so the guy arock or whatever the dude who did the art like the art for that album did these limited runs of like vinyl toys and uh they're all very expensive on ebay now if you want to buy one no Uh, doubt clint from hand of doom radio he uh had one selling a little while ago and i messaged him like you still selling that weedian figure and he's like nah dude it's gone and i was like oh fuck i would have bought it though like (laughs) it's a perfect mix of all the things i like vinyl toys pretty cool yeah you know stonery shit great Um, artwork and the artwork that like expands as you fold out the record too with like extra moons and planets yeah and on the reverse side it's like it's night time and there's there's footmarks in it so it's like I don't know if I knew that maybe I did anyway sick Mm. great so just as a whole of the to capture the stonery vibe perfect that's fair absolutely amazing modern stoner yeah yeah uh next one i did uh municipal waste as well i couldn't do art of partying so i did hazardous mutation <sighs> nice and early um because man you can't deny like fuck thrashing of the christ that tom Araya <laughs> yeah dude screaming at the end that's like it's like the best thing tony's ever done vocally and it's just ripping off tom <laughs> <laughs> but it's unreal so yeah and i think when we were in the height of that municipal waste love and seeing them on tour and like seeing like those songs live is just like incredible. Like that, so much fun. That energy is just like, yeah, like a real fun party metal show. Like yeah, bring bodyboards yeah. to a show. <laughs> Encouraged by the promoter of the show. Like um, I remember yeah. that po- those posts going up going, yeah, bring skateboard dicks and bodyboards, do it. Fucking wild. I jumped off the stage at the corner hotel into what I didn't realize at the time was a hole in the pit and land on the ground. Did you? Yeah, yeah, I've Did got... You, you put your hand in someone's mouth too, didn't you? Uh, what? Was that you or me? Someone went I to like reach to do something in the pit oh, and it was fuck. just like in just someone's clawing mouth. people's mouths. <laughs> fuck. So, yeah, like I... So, yeah, it's I've got a mark on the shirt that I was wearing that night that is those rubber stamina mats. You know, those like rubber mats that are like behind a bar or something. They must have been on the floor because there's that print on the unwashed white shirt that I was wearing that night that I still own today. It's got like boot marks and stuff on the back of the shirt. So crazy. Is this the printed shirt we made? It is, yeah. So Matt and I made custom shirts that says East Coast Lifeguards <laughs> on it with the Municipal Waste logo. And yep. I have mine too, which I washed, but it still is filthy. Mine's like, haggard. Yeah, it's this like, cut off t-shirts that are just torn almost down all the way. Crazy, crazy. I know, you can't wear a sleeveless shirt when you're going into like a proper mosh pit action because no. like... I've got a Slayer shirt that's like, doesn't even, it, I don't even know how it's still connected. <laughs> because yeah, yeah. like, you know, the bouncers will just like grab you and rip you. Oh, and man. just like, oh yeah. So on that tour as well, I remember this moment between Tom Brislane and I. Uh, it was the secret show that was like announced last minute at the Bendigo Hotel. Was um, it Wednesday night? It was like, that? yeah, Wednesday night with like 24 hours notice kind of thing. Uh, we went to that show and it was just like, like this, like for those of you who have been to the Bendigo, there's like the mixing desk and then a little doorway that leads out towards the main bar. And there was people like doing circle pits around the back of the mixing around desk the mixing and through desk that and little door. Psycho. But there was a dude in a denim vest crowd surfing who then fell down. And as he fell, the back of his vest went over some dude's head. And for a moment, it was like some human centipede kind of shit while this guy was trapped in this dude's denim vest. I remember looking at Tom throughout this chaos and just thinking it was the best thing in the whole world. God damn it, it was funny. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's amazing. Um, Oh, next one. So, yeah, I was going to do a Baroness one as well. I really like Baroness. I had purple in there originally because you had yellow and green. But now you've done purple, so we can skip all that. And then I decided, fuck it, I'll just do Mastodon Crack the Sky. Wonderful. I hovered over that also. Yeah, 
because I was just like, oh, and then and then with Mastodon, it's like, wh- which one do you pick? You know, like there's a lot of great options in there, mm. and I think Crack the Sky for me has gotten the most listens, but mainly because the kind of spacey weirdness, just kind of like it's just kind super of, weird, yeah, kind of trippy and cool. And I used to find that it would play really well if I'd played video games with the sound mm. off and just put Mastodon on. Yeah, man, absolutely. So Crack the Sky has the most listens because it would go really well with. I used to play this game. Uh, called Space Run that was essentially you would just do it on a little spaceship and you have to like mount guns to it and like get from one place to the other and it was just this perfect thing because there are some moments where there's no bad guys so you're just floating through space and then you just have these like beautiful bits of Crack the Sky playing underneath it all Man. and it was like perfect like there's I reckon there's more than one song on that album that's like a like an eight minute or something I reckon there's a few on there like, that are I long think Last Baron I think that's like I can't most, remember like, it exactly but yeah. yeah there's some real like spacious stuff on there mm. before they it's an odyssey because what was what was after that is that does that Going to Hunter? Like the Hunter? Nah, or probably is there Blood an... Mountain maybe? Was Blood Mountain really? I thought that, that was... Hmm. Oh. I feel like that was... Early. Anyway. You keep talking while like... Google I just it. remember feeling like Crack the Sky was the last bastion of Mastodon as an experimental band before they moved into the Hunter, which was like critically acclaimed. Oh, yeah. Yeah, Blood Mountain was 2006. Crack the Sky was 2009. Mm. And then the Hunter was 2011. So you're right. It was. It was before yeah, right. it went real, real groovy, real poppy, real mm. turn which a lot is of not- fans off. Not bad at all because some of the best riffs I've heard have been on either um, The Hunter or what's the next one? Once More Around the Sun. Um, yeah, I'm pretty sure is the next one. Yeah, um, They're both stellar records, but I think Crack the Sky is a real uh, distillation of Mastodon, mm. you know? Yeah, I think it's a better record. Hmm. I nearly added it too. It's in yeah. my... Yeah, for sure. Because at the, at, the, at the time when I made my first draft of the, tw- the 20 images, I had purple and... <laughs> and crack this guy like sharing the spot and I was like at some yeah, point right. I have to pick between the two of these because you're right it encapsulates that whole vibe mm. uh, and it's fucking amazing uh, and then the last one one I'm surprised it wasn't in yours was uh, Beast Milk Climax cool great record really interesting really minimal like relies on uh, it's it, it relies on the space between instruments I think like there's not a lot of distortion or a lot of effects or anything um but yeah, I just I don't feel I've been influenced by it. Mm. That was that was the cutoff. But uh-huh. excellent, excellent record. See, like, mm. how did you? Because I think you introduced me to that, which would have been through who? That was through Cam Wilson, Cam Roberts, um, Metal Storm, now Black Helm. Yeah, uh, that, just because uh, Kvost, uh, Matt, Matt, what's his name? McNeary? Matt Mc, yeah, that guy. Uh, he is has this like resume of um, of of obscure bands and. Beast Milk was his most recent at the time kind of uh, movement onto like a, a, a genre, I suppose. Yeah. Because he's got like, he, he was uh, in a band called Code for a little while that was like obscure, like really bizarre black metal-y stuff, but with his like bellowing vocals over the top, like very peculiar kind of sounding stuff um, that has some stuff that bubbles through that's quite nice. Um, but yeah, very jarring kind of an album. And then I think he bailed on them to do beast milk which mm. was kind of that but with a more stripped down yeah ghosty tribulation-y kind of angle behind yeah, it yeah and his vocals mm. to me were really reminiscent of like joy division and that kind mm. of like english yeah, real kind honking of- like fucking gold class is that them <laughs> i also i did i did consider the first gold class record it's you uh band from melbourne who aren't a thing anymore but because yeah that same kind of vibe that kind of it's like a bit depressing and a bit mm. kind of droney and a bit kind of like, yeah, well, what, what do they call it? Apocalyptic death rock. Is That's what right. That, yeah. They called uh, that album Climax. And mm. uh, to me, it just, it, yeah, it was so cinematic. 
it feels cold it feels kind of clinical it feels like you know it's just got a real vibe to it and like the album art is just about to bring that up yeah Yeah. really well thought out so iconic Mm. and i i just i love that record and i just don't think that grave pleasures have ever really reached that no, height no. since having to like rebrand after losing their i think that was the guitarist mm. he took the rights to the name with him um the artwork it's like it looks like a high-end like european furniture catalog mm. like it's it's like yeah, very it look- clean straight lines with one piece in the middle of each photo um and the vinyl comes with a like a 20 page 12 inch booklet of the artwork, which is just so sick. Yeah, it looks like mm. modern art, like yeah, Mona truly. Yeah, yeah, it's it's awesome. Yeah, so really yeah, cool. Love that, and because uh, it, it was one of those things where it was like, oh, there's a lot of other stuff that's not making it in. Mm. But I was like, I guess, and like I used it for like a show reel, like of all my video stuff I'd done in the past. Mm. I think I put it up to a to a Beast Milk song because sure. it was just so. You know, because you can't put like something brutal mm, mm. to a showreel, but you're kind of like, oh no, that kind of works though, because it's a bit heavy and it's a yep. little bit and yep. like a lot of the stuff in the video bits of the show were kind of heavy so it kind of worked but you're also trying to like not scare people off <laughs> I'm not exclusively it. heavy things yeah 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 yeah. so that yeah I guess that's probably why I ended up making it in the cut for sure mm. alright so we've been going yeah, we've only been going for like an hour and a half it's sweet oh okay that's good and then we're up to we're up to the last row so hey, very good nice one before we do I gotta pee real bad oh I kinda need to pee too <laughs> All right, we're back from our respective pee breaks, but I have to. <laughs> I checked my phone while we were <laughs> while we were gone. I'm so glad this happened on mic. So, super fan of the show, good friend of mine, Andrew Kelly, has just sent me a message saying that it's it's a screenshot of the variety thing on Facebook that says Nicholas Cage to play Tiger King's Joe Exotic in scripted series <laughs> from American Vandal showrunner. All right. Oh my god. <laughs> so, for all you Tiger King fans out there, that is. Like, there's no better pairing that's pretty than good. Nick Cage yeah. and fucking Joe Exotic. That's the fucking coolest thing ever. Holy <laughs> shit. Amazing. Thank you for sending me that message, Andrew. And thank you for then doing it on mic. So now we can get you a shout out. Yeah, very good. Um, all right, let's do this last leg of your top last five. Excellent. It starts with uh, Daft Punk's Random Access Memories from mm-hmm. 2013. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that album came out, I reckon I listened to it every day for a week at least, maybe two. Um, just wonderful songwriting. The like the lineup on the record, like the performers on the on the record, are all uh, all sort of gurus in their own worlds. Um, like there's yeah, I can't I can't give you a list, but I just know that all of the performers. It's like the are who's just, who you know, of like exactly. classic studio dudes. Exactly right, and so like every song, I love every song on that album, and it's got really playful, careful, cheeky little bass lines and stuff that really really uh, amplified my my love for bass in music because it's not until you get to that more delicate kind of music that you can really uh you can really hear bass in in that way i suppose um I, on a recent uh podcast i heard donny benet uh also uh, also uh, a fan of his music donny benet shit on that record um because he just said that it was daft punk going to the states to record thriller like in the same sort of in the same situations or the same sort of areas with the same personnel, and while that might be true, why why wouldn't you do that? You know, <laughs> like if you had that as an option, as you know, like why the hell wouldn't you do that? So what was he you mad know? about that it wasn't breaking new ground? Yeah, Did that he- it was just it was just a like a rehashed kind of feeling. But yeah. that's coming from a guy who plays like eighty synth. 
you know, <laughs> like it, it, it's, it's kind of the popcorn. The I just, black, I, right? I thought so, but anyway, it, and it just stung a bit because I hold that album in such high regard, mm. um, and I feel like if you give it time, it's got something for everybody. Mm. Like truly, it's really got. Yeah, it's it, of course get lucky's on that album. You can skip it because you've heard it two hundred times at Coles Radio, mm. but. As a as an album, I think it holds up. Um, yeah, great artwork. I got the my brother bought me for Christmas the like the double LP gatefold record with it's like, if you remember the um, the Get Lucky video clip, they've all got like those uh, those resin uh, guitars like the see through uh, Stratocasters and stuff. Yeah. There's like a, a synthesizer that's made of the same sort of thing that's in like the middle image when you fold the album open. It's just so sick. So it looks like a clear purple Nintendo 64. <laughs> yeah, yeah, essentially. Um, and it's got like, again, in like the 12 inch booklet, um, it's got like schematics for how to build each of the Daft Punk dudes helmets. Like it's got like what? blueprints for how to, it's so cool. So well thought out. Really, really cool. Love it. Yeah, it's just a great package of an album. Do you want to talk about yeah. the time when you were camping? We put on Giorgio and you lost your shit. <laughs> uh, well, that's that pretty much sums it up, I think. You know, <laughs> taken off into space with those those electric drum fills at the end of that Giorgio number. Man, oh, what great. a way to see that song great. is as a whole. You yeah, know, like just absolutely. By itself. I remember, yeah, I remember when record. that album came out, it was on like Triple J and then they, they played Giorgio because it was a feature album so they got to kind of play all the tracks. Mm. And I remember all like, the Triple J goes like, what the fuck is this? I, don't fuck, I hate this. And I just remember being in the car being like, this is crazy. So wild, man. Like the coolest thing I've so ever heard crazy. on Triple J. Um, uh, anyway, let's continue. What's next? Followed by uh, Dissection's Rain Chaos. Um, as, Ooh, yeah. a, as a band, Black Helm, like would, it's sort of, that's, that's the, that's the, Dimu Borgi to La Mort, I suppose. Mm. In, in, like with, with other things, you know, chucked in for the mix. But this this album really walks the line between groove and brutality. Like the, the lyrical content is all like ancient, um, ancient like incantations and stuff uh, about of, like of, demons it, and hell. And oh, yeah, man, but isn't it's it the so stuff gnarly. that he made up when he was in prison? Like he wrote the books. Whether or not he wrote it, I don't, I don't know for certain, but that sounds like something he would do. Yeah. Um, but it's such a, it's such a groove laden record with those carcassy, uh, like Euro harmonies that are mm. like more Iron Maiden than they are immortal. You know, mm. it's yeah. Such a, such a stellar record top to bottom. Great anthems, anthemic record. Yeah. Mm. Really cool. Pretty sure, uh, so listeners, when Matt got married a couple of years ago, on the invitation, <laughs> it said, uh, you know, like, oh, dietary requirements, blah, 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 and give us a song to add to the playlist. I'm pretty sure I wrote Black Dragon on my on my <laughs> wedding, save the date thing I sent back. Uh, did you end up playing it at your wedding? Definitely not. You know, no, no, no. Piece of shit. <laughs> It's your best man, and you just fucking don't even play the play the song I want you to play. <laughs> yeah, that's but, fair. But no, true. It was a joke, and I. Uh, that's just like that. When I think, because when I saw that in your list, I was like, I knew it was definitely going to be in there, and I knew I could skip it because you were going to have it in there. Mm-hmm. And it Certainly. it is. It's fucking amazing. Man. It's like a a real pinnacle of like all of the sounds that we kind of grew up liking. Yeah, together yeah, in this absolutely. brutal package. That's so yeah. Sick. It's got all. It's got all the fucking. It's got all the right things in there. Oh man, and not to mention the mythology behind the album as well. Like you said, when he was in prison for killing a man, this John John Notfied. I don't know how you pronounce his Swedish surname. Mm. Um, seems like a fairly sort of unhinged sort of a dude, mm. but goes into prison, uh, creates this album, comes out, records it, tours it as. Uh, Rebirth, like dissection, rebirth. I think sort of like a Caius lives type mm-hmm. situation, yeah. uh, and then kills himself because he has peaked in life, and it was his magnum opus, and that was his crowning achievement of his existence in, on this mortal coil. Mm. Yeah, huge. Like 
That's pretty lucky. It's a great album, right? Like if it sucked, yeah. <laughs> Why'd you kill yourself for that? <laughs> yeah, we uh, when I was staying at Walker's place, we were watching like an interview with him, and he's like got the he's got like a six 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 tattoo on his neck or something, and he's yeah. like, "This is uh, actually it's like a birthmark that I just uh, brought." <laughs> Why does it sound French? I don't know, but like he was talking about how like yeah, it's a birthmark that he's always had, and he just needed to get it on his flesh for real or whatever. Yeah, I was right. just like, what the. F- Fuck, this pretty dude heavy. Is so yeah. into it, like pretty he's into heavy. Satan. Yeah, man. Yeah, pretty cool. And like the commitment to a, to like a, to a, to to to, to the energy or like or to the, to what's the the ideology? That's what I'm looking for. Mm. The commitment to that is just unmatched. He's like a know? religious zealot who's mm. just really into his brutal satanic music, and that's 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 his religion. Absolutely. You know? Yeah, 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 for sure. Um, yeah, great, great album. Do yourself a favor. Uh, followed by. <laughs> Steely Dan's Can't Buy a Thrill Oh yeah So uh, My discovery of Steely Dan Happened when uh, Was it Walter Becker? He died When he died? One of one of the dudes died Yeah because Donald Fagan's still Still around Okay um, So yeah Walter Becker dies I'm like Steely Dan Oh that's a, that's a band name I've heard chucked around f- You know Forever Maybe I'll check him out And the first album Can't Buy a Thrill uh, It's just It's playful It's serious It's fun it's like they've got like a rotating roster of magnificent performers on the record. And I would later go on to to discover that that's how Steely Dan rolled. Like it was it was the two main dudes and then they would write music in the studio and just like put a call out for people to play a guitar solo over this section. And they would get six or seven guitarists in and just pick the best solo on the day to be on the record forever like they're not in the band they were just session musicians for a portion of a song and just the commitment to that as like an artistic expression i think is so sick it's like it it sort of transcends the idea of a band like it's like they don't necessarily want to recreate it live they just want to create this this piece and it doesn't matter who's on it or you know what or, or what you know what what led it to to become that you know what i mean it was more just like for the for the piece of art, which I think is really great. Mm. Yeah, a really interesting approach uh, to making music, I think. Yeah, uh, It's really funny. The only thing I know about Steely Dan before that, before we kind of all got into it, was mm. like that line where Seth Rogen in like, I think it's knocked up and he's like, Steely Dan goggles my balls or something. <laughs> and uh, so funny that uh, my uncle Guy is an entertainment journalist and when he interviewed Seth Rogen, he's like, dude, what are you doing ragging on Steely Dan for? <laughs> And he literally said like, oh yeah, I'm sorry, man. Like I got so much shit for that or something. And I was like, whoa. So I love that, that like music nerds have just been like, fuck you, Seth Rogen. Don't say that about Silly awesome. Dan. So there you go. Thanks guy for doing that. Yeah. Um, very good. Uh, which then made me go, oh, okay, legit. Cause like, I just thought it was like a band that my uncle liked. Yeah. Not yeah, like absolutely. a band that I could, was accessible to me, to my mm, taste. That's the thing, isn't it? Really opened the door. For sure. Um, next up, we've got Elder, uh, Elder's album Law mm. from... 2015 mm. um, Wonderful Wonderful record Spacious Experimental Stonery Psychedelic But without ramming it down your throat Pink Floydy at times Really Really kind of Eclectic influences On that album um, It just came at a perfect time In that Stonery Rock kind of world for me um, And the artwork's Fantastic as well Like mm. it's a really Great package Especially um, on the record Because you've got it mm. And it's like You can slide it in and out And it can be That's different right. things yeah. in there. So cool So so cool Um yeah, I have like a print of all of the, the versions of the artwork that I'm yet to somehow put on a wall somewhere. Um, but yeah, really cool. Really great record. Um, reflections of a world to come. World to come? The Whatever the following one the, was. The greeny one with the white top. Yeah, an excellent record, but it's not quite as heavy. Like I think they've really lent into the like the psyche 
side of things and mm. from like and you know beyond as well like they haven't really returned to form with that like they had at law um but i think it's just a excellent excellent record somehow it's like five songs long and it's got so many hooks that you don't realize you know until you hear the songs again you go oh right i've actually memorized this song mm. even though this track is you know 12 minutes long it really does have moments that that suck you in i think it's yeah excellent record um and finally of my top 20 is John Farnham's Whispering Jack. Now, could <laughs> Wicked. Fucking awesome. Um, as you know, uh, uh, our previous guest, Amy Rose Fraser, who's been on here, uh, dad was a part of the recording of that as a producer mm-hmm. or something. And uh, it felt really good that when she came on and talked about that, I was aware of <laughs> how good that record is because it's just been spun by you, like, nonstop. Man, man. So... When I posted that to Facebook with the caption, bugger doing this for 20 days, here they are in order of discovery slash rediscovery. Mm. This album is one of the few on the records, on that list rather, that uh, falls under the rediscovery uh, label because everybody knows John Farnham. Mm. You're an Australian person who had parents uh, of like my parents' vintage. You know John Farnham just because he is a, he's, uh, he's a, a piece of the furniture as far as Australian mm. entertainment goes. Yeah. Um, but it wasn't until uh, Andy Social, the Andy Social podcast, um, had Brett Garsed, the guitarist, uh, or John Farnham's guitarist, for all these years on as a guest uh, because the dudes in Lord are such uh, big John Farnham fans. He finally had got, got the opportunity to have um, Brett Garsed on the podcast. And I listened to that. I'm like, wow, that, yeah, John Farnham really, really did some shit, like, as, a, as like a force and as a band. They really, really did some shit in Australia and uh, and I think paved the way for modern Australian entertainment. But they're not what I originally... Or John Farnham isn't what I originally would have chalked him up to be, as in like the guy who guests with Olivia Newton-John on uh, like Carols by Candlelight. You know, mm. it's not just that. He truly is a formidable musical force within Australian culture. Yeah, and wasn't he smoking durries around that time as well? Yeah, when he was man. like busting out those yeah. vocals. Like, that's oh, unbelievable. Yep, yeah, a, a blonde, mulleted, durry smoking. Oh, man. So, so sick. Um, yeah, love it. Love it. Great, great record. Um, yeah, yeah. Much, much more than your parents' rock and roll from back in the day, for sure. And was mm. it weird to have the put the cap? Because like, putting a cap on the final album for me, I just didn't bother it at a point because my <laughs> one is just like, oh, it's just what I'm listening to like right now. Yeah. So yeah, sure. with you to put it last, why'd you put it last? Again, just the rediscovery angle. Like I couldn't put it first because in the timeline it would have been, I suppose, mm. you know, you would have heard all those songs before any of these heavier ones stepped in. But it wasn't until my own yeah rediscovery and appreciation on my own... Uh, with my, yeah, with my own sort of motivation behind it, that I can say that I like that record. Yeah, yeah, it's a nice little full stop when you're 20 as well, which I like too. Mm. Yeah, it's good. Love it. Wonderful, wonderful record. But yeah, awesome. <laughs> Sick. All right, cool. Uh, so my last five. Again, same deal. I think they're just all the things I'm kind of currently spinning now, or my where my interests lie at the moment. I guess. Mm. So that I kind of tried to. Yeah, man, it was so hard because I had so many offcuts, which we'll get into after this. <laughs> do a couple of offcut mentions, but this was some stuff where I just wanted to try and cover a couple of different genres or maybe things I'd missed, like you said, rediscovery. Um, so the first one was Health Death Magic. Um, the this was like their first record they'd done in ages. Before that, they did the soundtrack to Max Payne Three, the video <laughs> game. 
<laughs> which is super strange. But uh, Dan, who I mentioned earlier in the podcast, he uh, who got me into Nine Nails and things like that, was like, "Dude, if you heard the soundtrack to Max Payne 3 I'm like, "What? What? No! Like, <laughs> why I would I? I haven't played it yet. <laughs> you know? No, I ha- I would I would have." I had the pre-order for Max Payne 3 because I know this because I still have the little bullet pen that come that came with the pre-order bonus of Badass. the Mad Collector's yeah. Edition. It's like one of those big kind of like AK bullets, but you pull the top half out of the casing <laughs> and it's a pen. Um, but I hadn't listened to the soundtrack first. I think they released it early um, and he'd heard it and he was like, oh man, you got to get on it. It's fucking sweet. And there's only one track in the whole Max Payne soundtrack that has vocals. And like the singer in health, it's like kind of ethereal, a bit angelic. It's not what you would expect for this kind of hard-edged electronic kind mm. of... What started as noise. And I think... I'm pretty sure Trent Reznor tweeted about them on their first record that was like, oh, you got to check these guys out. Yeah, and I was wild. like, if you listen to the first health the first two before death magic and the max Payne soundtrack it's just it's noise it's like noise music Mm. and i'm like i'm not really into that but this death magic was the first time that they kind of took the things that i really love from the max Payne soundtrack which is actually (laughs) awesome if you go and listen to that i think a song's called tears which is the one that actually has vocals in it which is sick and it's at the very end of max Payne 3 when like he's on like a runway in brazil and everything's blown up and he's all bloody and he's like you know like it's all yeah it's a fucking sweet game anyway Mm. essentially the game was uh like late Tony Scott movie so like you remember that movie like Man on Fire with Denzel Washington or like uh, that movie Domino with Kira Knightley mm-hmm. that kind of vibe like real like heavy cuts and like really stylish like really stylish and they turned that into a game so it was like super mm. fucking cool anyway Death Magic as an album is fucking awesome it's very yeah it's movie soundtracky it's brutal it's kind of beautiful there's so many tracks and man when I think about the kind of music i'd want to put in like if i made a movie the movie soundtrack would have a lot of health on it Mm, and then that would lead to a point where they'd be like hey you put some of the music in that movie do you want us to score the next one i'd be like yes please please do (laughs) so i love those guys that's been a real revelation for me in the last couple of years listening to that kind of stuff and i think it sums up a lot of stuff i've liked in the past like it's it's got a lot of nine inch nailsy vibe it's electronic it's kind of dancey it's kind of poppy Mm. but it's also kind of brutal and brooding and it's got a mix of all that into one one album sure like uh, next one is A Laughing Death in Meat Space by Tropical Fuckstorm. Uh, I'm a huge <laughs> Tropical Fuckstorm fan. And that, like, I guess because of, like, Meredith and listening to Triple R and, like, all that kind of stuff, like, the drones were something that always kind of escaped me beforehand. But then mm. I guess when you get that clean break with a new band, you yeah. can kind of listen yep. without being like, oh, I have to listen to, like, nine drones records. Yeah, am I starting at the right point? What am I missing? Exactly. Yeah. And then, and it was... And like, I guess now since going back and listening to the drones as well, what I really liked of theirs was like just towards the end when it was starting to get this weird. And then they've started with like a new lineup or semi new lineup, two new members. And it's just like a thing. You can check it out and it's there and it's like amazing. And mm. I, that, that there's so much, it's whack. Like it's a whack album. Like you've described it once as instruments falling downstairs. <laughs> yes. Which, <laughs> which I appreciate and love. And I think that's a part of the reason why I like because it, it is fucking weird and discordant and mm, trippy. Very and much like, so. You know, but uniquely Australian and like, I don't know, mm. there's a lot going on there. Um, and I, I liked that I was validated when Anthony Fantano really liked yeah okay yep, so i was yep. like all right cool i'm not a crazy person. i'm not losing it yeah. it's not just australian people loving gareth lydia because he's like an australian icon you know like it actually is legit good and he'd never heard of them and it was like yeah so it was good mm. um i've seen them a bunch of times live in the last couple of years uh i saw when they did the no country for old men live score for the hear my eyes thing at the art center which was like awesome. one of the craziest experiences i've ever seen ever it was amazing 
life-changing. Uh, so I had to go in there. Um, next one. Oh, this next one's from Ash McKenzie. If you're listening, Ash, way to go. Uh, mm. uh, Idols, Joy as an Act of Resistance. Now, this is a band that Ash said, come and see this band with me. They're playing in Melbourne, whatever. And I was like, eh. And then I slept on it for a bit and there was another thing we had to do that night. So I thought, oh, I better do that instead. And that's probably one of the greatest regrets of my life is not going to that oh, Idols gig. Yeah, because, and I, I remember it was hot as fuck that day. I think it was like a 40 degree day in like a January or something of like maybe last, would have been like two years ago maybe? Mm. Well, no. When was it? When did it come out? 2018. So maybe it was last January, essentially about a year ago. Could have gone and seen them. Didn't do it. Greatest regret. Love it. Love, I guess when it comes down to, you know, like it's super punky and like, oh dude, there's so much punk stuff that I realized I wanted to put in this top 20 that I was like, oh, oh yeah, shit. How do I put in that i like you know delved into punk later than i should have like mm. do i put in like some old afi or like black flag or something that like to me you know like specific albums were really influential for me at some point but i think this kind of sums up a lot it's modern punk very politically minded in its in its lyrics love the lyrics they're all like audible and sing-alongable and they're all about like getting along with each other and stop being such fuckwits <laughs> so that was to me that was really cool and it's cool to see a band with such aggression and cool english kind of swagger and like good fashion and cool tattoos but it's not lame mm. it's like it's fighting for good and it is good and it sounds great and it's great live um because i've listened to the live record ash sent me that link once when it came out she's like now it can be like you were there and i'm like thanks for that I didn't go. <laughs> um so yeah loved that i got to put that in there and uh, i love what a revelation that was and like the tiny desk one of they do when they do it on mm, the tiny desk it's yeah, great that's, like, i have watched that yeah you know and then i think someone jokes in the video they're like we're surprised not as much stuff fell down which i was like yeah that's fucking cool <laughs> uh last two uh yeah i guess rediscoveries uh the next one uh king for a day fool for a lifetime faith no more that was something that like you, you mentioned Tim Meaden earlier, uh, one of our high school friends. I remember he reviewed Angel Dust in like the, in Whoa. like the school magazine or something. Like you could, you could be contributing to like the school magazine. I remember he reviewed Angel Dust, and uh, so like I always listened to that back then, kind of through his recommendations and kind of dug it. And I've always dug Mike Patton as a whole, doing all of his different projects. But in getting back to this through Mal, like who's a massive Faith No More fan, King for a Day is something that's really stood out to me as like, wow, there's so much going on there. Like there's cool, you know, like there's like really fun kind of songs and there's like heavy songs and there's just like, you know, Mike Patton's going full tilt on like all of his vocals and some of them are unbelievable. Like that to me is just like, wow, what a boss. So, um, and there was talk a little while ago of uh, Joel Taylor and uh, Pete Alexander and a couple of dudes being involved doing like a like a tribute show. Wow. And I better double check with Joel at this that's point cool. to see if that's still happening or if that's good to talk about. But if it is, that was something they were talking about playing that album in full live in Melbourne. I'm like, that would be amazing. I would love to see that. And I'm just going to mark 158. In I'm not supposed to talk about it. But um, so yeah, that was something that, you know, as exciting as it was going to be to go see faith no more when they were about to come out this year but now it's been postponed to next year because of uh, corona mm. there was also a part of me that was almost just as excited to see that album in full played by some of my mates which it was like really yeah exciting. that would be a cool experience hey uh especially seeing the songs that they would never probably be able to do live um and the last one to tie it off was it's not as nice of a full stop for you with the john farnham but uh alice in chains dirt that was something that mm. Alice in Chains, I always thought were like a grungy, Seattle, Nirvana-y, like, you know, 90s grunge vibe. I didn't really know what yeah, else I yeah, had to of offer. Course. And then only like listening to the, the record and fully being like, this is fucking awesome. Like, it's so good. It's like, 
I don't know how you describe it. It's like, mm. it's heavy and it is kind of grungy, I guess, in a way. But like all the lyrics are about fucking doing heroin and stuff. And like, you know, like it's just, it just sounds great. And then also to find out that like one of the songs, <laughs> a couple of the songs I'm pretty sure on Dirt were then pretty much straight up ripped and turned into like eight bit versions for Doom. So, <laughs> yeah, so then like all the, like I've been like obsessed with Doom in the last couple of months and then I'm listening to these old Doom songs while I'm playing. I didn't even realize that they're essentially just rip-offs of Alice in Chains songs. So, that's a huge win. Uh, <laughs> Very good. Probably not for their lawyers and the legal team who've probably been like, "Oi, that's just a song." <laughs> oh man. Um, so if you want to look up uh, Alice in Chains Doom ripoff or something on YouTube, I'm sure you better find a video. Yeah, no doubt. Them and it's like fucked. But uh, yeah, that was a real revelation to me, just to be like, whoa, I can't believe I missed this for so long. And mm. people have like they're, they're talked about in so many ways and like lumped in with all these big bands, but never really kind of getting it. And yep. then I have a very similar Alice in Chains uh, experience for sure. Yeah. Because mm. like that's something that I was just like, oh shit, okay, cool. And now it's at a point now where it's like you just listen to it now. It's not like it's not in, it's not built into a scene or built into a trope, and we're old enough now that we can just listen to what we want. Whereas, like, I think that was something when you were younger, you had to be like, "I am this camp." Yes, I have to listen to this for thing. sure, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I fuck man for the first part of this year, I think I just had dirt on repeat, like in my car, because you know when you have a Spotify <laughs> and you're just like recently played, and you're like, yeah, "I'll just put that back." Yeah, on sure. Again. And it, yeah, I can't remember the last time there was an album that I wanted to listen to so much and then like mm. find different parts of the album that you might start at the start and then you listen to the first few and then you just listen to that a few times and then you might get to somewhere in the middle and that keeps linking on and then by the end of it it's like every song on that album I'm like fuck mm. yeah they're all great yeah cool that's awesome yeah done alright there we go 20 how do you feel pretty good pretty been, good it's been gone for like two hours it's a long episode so but hey man we've, yeah. we've had longer <laughs> well yeah I suppose so just, you know, well done if you've made it this far. It's sort of self-indulgent a little bit, but, you know, what else are we going to do? Isn't every podcast I do? <laughs> I suppose so. All right. Have you got any links to uh, your offcuts that we can talk about? Maybe just a, a couple of ones that you really wanted to put in but couldn't? I think we've already talked about a few of them already, which is handy for us. Yeah, there's probably a couple that have been touched on. Um, I did revisit it uh, last night. Because I was sort of like cutting and you burning. Had to put, you had to put yellow <laughs> yeah. and green out and put Yeah, that's in. right. So what I might do is just rip through them, but not bother giving an explanation why. Sure. Essentially, they didn't make it because influence was the key for that top 20. Mm. So these ones are wonderful records that I love, but just didn't quite make it in. So I'm just going to burn through them. Go. Corn's uh, Untouchables, Sisters of Mercy, Floodlands, uh, Tribulations, uh, Down Below, and Children of the Night. Ghost, Opus Eponymous, Opeth, Deliverance, Megadeth, Rust in Peace, Slayer, God Hates Us All, uh, Graveyard, Lights Out, Catatonia, Ooh. Night is the New Day, Keep of Kalesan, Reptilian, Ghost, Meliora, Old Man's Child, In Defiance of Existence, Client Liaison, Diplomatic Immunity, mm. Vrida Hammer, Vipress, Anderson Pack, Oxnard, and The Midnight Nocturnal. Oh, yeah. So the Midnight was one of those mm. bands. Once I put Justice in and Health, I'm like, that's enough to <laughs> We've cover. We've checked a couple, yeah. But yeah, that yeah. that that record is fucking really good, man. That's mm. really, so. There's nothing wrong with them. You love them. They just didn't make it in because like there's something else in that top twenty that kind of like already. Yeah, I guess so. But I I don't dabble in electronic music in that way. You know, like I don't. I'm not influenced by it. I just like it. You know, mm. Mm. and yeah, Daft Punk kind of covers a lot of that territory oh, once you got that in there. Absolutely, like, yeah, 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 sweet. for sure. Uh, cool. What have I got in mind? I essentially, it's <laughs> I'm looking at a picture of offcuts of the Photoshop <laughs> file that I was making because I just snapped a photo of it. Uh, 
Ooh, what, so yeah, we already mentioned that Bittersweet Sucky Pie was cut out. The Crow soundtrack I cut out. I was tempted to put the uh, the Beatles in there at some point because I've been listening mm-hmm. to a lot of Beatles lately. Um, I was I was gonna put Revolver as my last one. That was kind of like your Whispering Jack. Yes, but yes. But then I was like, ah, oh, but I gotta put Dirt on there because it fucking rules. Mm. So that was out. Uh, Cavall Attack, self titled. Nice. was something that I was very tempted to put in. Uh, I also had Tribulation, but just Children of the Night because I listened to that one way more than Down mm-hmm, Below. Mm-hmm. Even though you've said that the Down Below is a lot more refined, it's a bit yes. shorter, it's not as like the, the purple, draggy towards the The purple end. to the yellow yeah. and green, yeah. Um, oh, Gay Paris, Last Good Party. That deserves a big oh. honourable mention. Um, I, when we had Aaron from Total Unicorn on the podcast, uh, he mentioned that Dean, who used to play in Gay Paris, is now in Total Unicorn. And I was like, oh yeah, dude, I'm a massive Gay Paris fan. Like, <laughs> And it would have been really great to stick that in to prove that. But I just, with all the other choices that I had, I was just like, oh. But I do have very distinct, lovely memories of like seeing Gay Paris, like playing at Cherry Bar and things like that and like having a sick time. And that album rules. Like it's something that Mm. if I heard it, I would have no idea it was some dudes from Sydney. Sure, sure. It's just, it's just got a real flavor to it and I really like it. Uh, In a similar vein, like Turbo Negro was something that I really wanted to put in there as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Probably was going to do Apocalypse Dudes. Um, Party Animals is the one that everyone listens to first because of Bam Majera and all that kind of stuff. But when you really go back, that's a fucking banger. Um, in Solitude, Sister. Ooh, that yeah. was something that I really wanted to put in, but uh, it was between that and Tribulation because they're in that similar... Con- and, and Beast Milk as well. But I think when it comes down to it, Beast Milk, I guess, is a distillation of the thing I like the most about that. Yes, that's fair. Um, so, I had to, so it was like that or that. Purple is out. Uh, <laughs> Copa Parallels is... Uh, it's, the, it's Spider Copa is this one dude, John La something. But I got onto this because I think Greg from Dillinger played guitar on this record, like this specific one. Hmm. And I got mad into it. Uh, it's got vocals from Julie Christmas as well. She does a bunch of different Very vocals good. on the yep. on the album as well. And it's just like this weird proggy thing. And I don't know where it came from. I think it must have been the Dillinger connection. But when I heard it, and I just I remember the same deal. Just listen to it on loop. Like, it's so good. Mm. And I w- really wanted to put that in there, but it just doesn't make a lot of sense. <laughs> and I was just kind of like, oh, I just can't justify being in there. Uh, Weezer, Blue Album, was something that I was like, oh, man, mm. that's a fucking great record. Like, that should go in yep, there for yep. sure. And it reminds me of a lot of, like, a lot of cool people along my life have all been into Weezer. So it's like, oh, there's something going on here. You yeah, know? yeah, yep. <laughs> um, Ramstein, Sensut. Yeah, that's was, good. Well, I was tempted to put that in because that was at the very same time as like Slipknot and Tool and Corn and Limp Bizkit and all that stuff at the start. And that album artwork of like, you know, all their different faces yeah. all like with weird Lit mechanical up. traps yeah. on them, like a like Saw cool. movie. Amazing. Uh, AFI. I was tempted to do some kind of AFI, but then I was like, if I'm not going to put, I've got to put my chem in if I'm going to do AFI. You know? yeah, but sure, then, sure. But then it was, <laughs> it was going to be like, the Art of Drowning or one of those kind of uh, older AFI ones that are still kind of punkier uh, as opposed to like Sing the Sorrow, which is when they went full emo and then that's, you know, like it's a different story. And then <laughs> uh, Dandy Warhol's Welcome to the Monkey House. Oh, yeah. Nice. Because so it it's a great cover as well, that Ron English, you know, the banana mm. thing as well. So it would look good in the thing and it's fucking great. Like that's an odyssey as well, you know, when you're really Certainly. talking like albums. Yeah. And so many catchy songs that you didn't know you knew unless you realize that it's like a theme song to My oh, Kitchen Rules. man. Yeah, 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 but, for sure. Uh, yeah, so they're all the ones that were like, oh, close, but just didn't make it. Yeah, for sure. But it's fucking hard, man. Absolutely, know? it's hard. Yeah, it's really difficult. Fun exercise, though. Like, it really is just a, you know, take the time to dig back through your own sort of history. Mm. Yeah, it, it was, yeah, fun exercise. And I mm. hope that people get a kick out of us talking about these, <laughs> yeah. and I hope that they start thinking about their own, maybe. Maybe you can, like, send me some. I'd like to kind of talk about it with some people. Maybe we get a little bit of open forum as opposed to just 
Facebook people tagging each other. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, that's fair. But it's definitely a good thing for people to start thinking about because you're like, oh, you could do that easy. And then you start, like once you start doing it, mm, you're just like, jeez. I had a list definitely. on my phone for a bit and then I was like scrolling through like my Spotify and then I was like, you said you were looking at band merch as well to make sure you hadn't missed anything. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It really is tough. But it's definitely a fun way to kind of get through your musical journey in like a kind of short burst mm. and then maybe even like reinvigorate some some love for some older stuff you may have forgotten since then. Yeah, yeah, no doubt. Yeah, what a yeah, it's been a fun, fun use of time, I reckon. And it's better than we just did it on the phone and then it would have just been like this lost conversation that's like, we could have talked about so many things that were funny and stuff and like told anecdotes, you know? Yeah, yeah. And no one's gonna hear it. It's pointless. So yeah, thanks so much uh, for coming back on as my oh, return guest. My pleasure. First ever return guest to do this kind of fun diversion, I guess. Yeah, yeah, very good. Oh, that's awesome. I've had a had a good time. Plus if I had you on and be like, what have you been doing? You'd be like, uh <laughs> Not a lot. <laughs> Just been sitting around in ISO. <laughs> mm. No, nah, but you, can you talk about tracking some stuff? Oh, it's pretty loose. Like we've just been demoing stuff with Blackhelm. Uh, I've, I've finally worked out a, a workaround between a real drum kit and an electric drum kit and MIDI recording. And it's, yeah, it's been a bit of a learning curve, but it's good. It's sort of coming together in a way that I can just leave it and then walk into it the next day without having to set anything up, which is a nice streamlined way of operating. Um, but yeah, songs are gradually coming along with with cam it's good fun this is a good fun stage of of being in a band um you know throwing ideas back and forward that's heaps of fun instead um, of paying like thousands of dollars to record it uh yeah yeah you know once you've once you've played the songs you know ten thousand times each and you go let's put them to tape you know <laughs> this, this is a nice creative time <laughs> mm. awesome well we at least covered some band stuff and then we had a lot of yeah, self-indulgent rant yeah. so it's all good uh Thanks so much for listening, guys. Tune in now for... It's going to go even longer because we're going to do a post-ramble with Mal's Top 20 as well. So we're going to do that now. <laughs> Buckle up. <laughs> fucking longest episode yet, baby. I'm going to get to Rogan level soon. All right, welcome to the Post Ramble. We've uh, got Mal here. We're going to do run through the top 20 with Mal, but it's a bit of a twist this time because you've just kind of gone off your record collection. Yeah, I tried to make a list. Um, I think I got it down to about 30. The whole task was very challenging and a little bit overwhelming. And I just thought I'm just going to go grab pretty much the ones that I've selected and whatever just out of my records and we'll just talk about them. I think there's more than 20, but we're going to be quick because... We're not going to sit here for two hours and talk about them, although I really, really loved hearing you and Matt talk about your top 20. It was awesome. What was it? What was something that, like the most shocking thing from both of us that you weren't expecting to be in there? Oh, well, I was kind of surprised that you put Alice in Chains' Dirt in there. Um, in what way? You know that I've been listening to that I know, you've been, but it's just such a new addition. Like, I yeah. kind of think of top 20s as like, you know. Yeah, like I think it would, it would be really nice if uh, it had a, like a nice button on the end, like... Matt's one did but I just think of it as this like never ending kind of chronology you know mm. it's just like how I'm up to right now you know yeah. and I didn't want to kind of try and put like oh what about something that my dad liked or because I thought about that too or something that you'll always come back to but it was just like nah fuck it just keep going like eventually you'll just add to that list it'll be like a top 40 in 20 more years you know alright so let's jump straight into yours first one off the rank I have a Faith No More record here tell us about this yeah so um, okay so I actually would have if I could and it 
I'd probably just have all of the Faith No More albums, like obviously Mike Patton onwards, um, in there. You're not going to put like Chuck, the, the one Chuck album in there? <laughs> probably not. So you don't care a lot is what you're actually saying? <laughs> no, I care a whole lot. Um, yeah, no, I really do. I, I love those albums, but I have not listened to them like I've listened to the others. I don't think any Faith No More fan like loves it, Chuck as much as they love Mike Patton. Do you think it's like Dillinger as well, where it's like, um, I think we, I mentioned that on the podcast, that I never really went back to calculating infinity, you know? Yeah. Do you do you think that like it's the same kind of vibe, where it's kind of like that dude's just a little bit forgotten? Like, I don't even know the dude's name that's not... Yeah, and he's not even around anymore. Mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely a bit like that. It's like the band didn't really... You know, take off. I Until mean, they, sure started they were still like Red super well peppers. known. Shut up. <laughs> but yeah, but you know, it started with the real thing. Um, uh, the epic single came out. I saw the video clip. I was at my grandma's house. I used to go around there after school. I was probably like eight or nine at the time when it came out. And I remember watching the clip and I was just like, oh, like a bit. I don't know, scared by it or something. And I was kind of afraid that she was going to walk in and be like, what's this horrible thing that you're watching? Like, turn this off. Um, but then, yeah, about halfway through the song, it just kind of clicked. I'm like, this is what I like. This fucking rules. Yeah. Anyway, so I'd have that in there and I'd also have um, album of the year because... So, so yeah, so the first one with Mike Patton, what was that called? The Real Thing. Yep, and yep. album of the year. Why? Album of the year. So that's later. So I didn't... Faith and More are my favourite band people listening to this probably know that I don't Correct. fucking shut up about it and now I get to talk about it <laughs> and you have to listen or don't whatever um, <laughs> so yeah so I didn't listen to them like they were like my favorite band for a brief time when I was like eight or nine however old I was and then I didn't listen to them for years and then it wasn't until I was maybe about 15 I think when album of the year was out and I heard um, the song ashes to ashes on the radio it was like at home that still gets played on triple m to this day as well yeah why shouldn't it yeah. um yeah so I remember hearing that and hearing them say oh that was faith no more ashes to ashes and I was like oh yeah like his voice was familiar to but me but singing yeah not as nasal he sounded completely different I'm like whoa that's Faith No More they're still going what the fuck and then I went back and listened to the other albums and then they were just my favourite band and then promptly after that they broke up anyway but now they're back but now they're back yay <laughs> and they will be here soon um, next one uh, we've got Tears for Fears songs from the big chair um this is a fucking great album. They're an amazing band. And I think I put a lot of albums in there um, that are just the ones that I've rinsed the most. And a lot of that comes from having an old car that had a tape player and just listening to the same tapes over and over again. And I had songs from the big chair as well on cassette. Um, and yeah, Shouts, one of my fa most favorite songs ever. Like it's just an absolutely perfect song. How did you feel about the Disturbed cover? Not great. Yeah, next album. <laughs> is that is that thick? Is that two or is that one? I think yes. no, nah, it's thick. What's this? It's um extreme. So um, that's a live album, but I had extreme um, pornography in there because that was my favorite album when I was a child. Um, they came out with more than words. That was their hit single, which everyone knows and loves. But then what you don't realize is you listen to the rest of the album, and they're like a glam kind of rock band with like super fucking sleazy riffs and you're like oh yeah anyway. when you say a sleazy riff what other bands do a good sleazy riff oh jeez. um 
Like, what am I thinking of? Because I can't think of extreme other than that one song. So, like, oh, just like l- a lot of glam bands do sleazy riffs. Like, like is Poison kind of sleazy? Yeah, but yeah, but it's not. I don't know. There's not enough. They not try enough to be sleazy. sexy, but oh, oh, you know, Unskinny Bob's pretty, pretty fucking sleazy. Yeah, it's pretty. Sl- yeah, that's yeah. what I was thinking. That yeah. was what I went to in my head. Well, that's because he's like, you know, thrusting up the mic stand in the video clip. Mm. So, yeah. Anyway, next one we've got Crowbar. Um, I've got Last Blood for the Downtrodden in there, but that's only because I don't have Broken Glass on vinyl. So Broken Glass would be in my top 20. Um, yeah, super heavy. Um, yeah, it's nothing else quite like it. And it was kind of a gateway for me into getting into just slow, heavy doom metal. Mm. Yeah. Oh, this is a good one, this next one. <laughs> the very best of the Carpenters. <laughs> now, this is something that I had no idea about, and I guess I didn't realise how many of these songs I knew, but I had no idea that, it, like, there's a whole crazy story behind it, and you were kind of obsessed with the tally movie of, mm. what was it called? The, Jen- um, the Karen Carpenter story. Karen Carpenter story. Yeah. I was going to say Jennifer Carpenter, that is... Uh, Dexter's sister on Dexter. <laughs> I think her name is Jennifer Carpenter. <laughs> yeah, no, the Carpenters. Um, yeah, another childhood favourite, and it was yeah, just from watching the Tally movie. Um, and yeah, it starts with Karen dying. Um, yeah, she died. She had anorexia, so she died of heart failure. Um, and yeah, she was yeah, just fucking amazing. Like her, she played drums. She was an amazing drummer and she sang as well. Um, and then they kind of forced her out behind the drum kit and wanted her to be like, you know, the sexy star of the duo. Um, yeah, and she hated it. She hated the spotlight being on her. She obviously hated the way she looked. And that led to her death. Brutal. That's um, fucking brutal. Yeah, like so a lot of the songs. So it's the most brutal record lo- on the it's <laughs> in so, your file. It's so brutal. Like... It's, you know, they have like, you know, super cheesy fun songs and like all of their songs are love songs, but there's just some absolute heartbreakers on there that you just, ugh, yeah, you can't deny. Anyway, next Speaking up. Speaking of broken hearts. <laughs> so we've got Dillinger. I've got Miss Machine, but I probably have Eyeworks in there as well, like you did, um, just because it was a real, a real good time in my life. A lot of partying, a lot of fun, fucking super fun album who got you into dillinger because i'm trying to trace the origins of where i got into that from and i don't know i don't know how it ended up in my ears do you know who like introduced you to the band and said hey check out this it's fucking crazy Mm, i remember seeing like a video clip of theirs pre-greg um and it was like shot through like a fucking sony handycam or something like a real shitty clip and i remember thinking what the fuck is this um but i didn't necessarily like it um, I think that's everyone's initial reaction to Dylan Joe. I don't think mm-hmm. anyone jumps into like, I fucking love this. I think it's just like jarring first and it yeah. either clicks with people <clears throat> clicks yeah. with people, or it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah, it's jarring until you hear some super catchy vocal hooks anyway. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. All right. Um, Next one is uh, Rush. Um, I chose Hemispheres. Not necessarily my favorite album because I don't really think I have one, but I really love Rush because there's no other band like them. Um, yeah, the ultimate power trio. Very good. Moving on to power duos. Mm, zombie. So, Zombie are a band that I discovered through um, going to Psycho Vegas um, a few years ago. So, you know, before you go to a festival, you generally listen to all the bands uh, or the ones that you don't know, um, just to, you know, make sure that you don't miss anything that's going to potentially change your life. Um, and yeah, Zombie was one of those bands. So, it's good timing that it came after Rush really because yeah Zombie are a two-piece and they're kind of like 
the night terrors without the theremin crossed with rush so they've got that like dark synthy sort of dancey prog space rock thing mm. going on but the drums the way they're recorded it's like a real band drums it's like really crisp sounding proggy sounding almost like i'm assuming like rush probably sounds you know is that like that you know like there's not a lot of room sound but it's also like really just like bandy and with the synth yeah. on its own it's kind of a bit jarring at the start but you then it like oh yeah but it's kind of cool yeah no they're, they're amazing and um yeah their drummer anthony patera plays synth and grails at the moment which is also awesome yeah zombie check them out and the album is called shapeshift start there yeah it sounds like uh listeners for me when i first heard this it sounds like and the cover actually is reminiscent of as well like an old school video game set in space it's got that kind of vibe to it it's like really it's like an odyssey from the get-go like like lift off yeah oh and it's zombie without an e on the end i think that's um i think it's like a is it a movie or is it like a goblin um album or something oh so, so there was like a, there was, yeah. related to goblin because it's uh, kind of a same family. Homage to that kind of sound. Yeah, because mm. I guess I think Zombie was the name that they called the unofficial sequel to like Dawn of the Dead in Italy uh, or something, I think. Okay. Like a Lucio Fulci kind of guy or whatever his name is. I think I think it was called Zombie with an I. That makes sense. It's Italian. Mm. Plural. Mm. Yeah. Zombie. Zombie. Uh, what's his next one? <laughs> Terrible. Next one's Winhand. That actually didn't make it and that's more like an honourable mention. Um, uh, I don't know. Just because uh, they're awesome. Like... Um, yeah, like that. Those first few albums, um, Dorothea's vocals are like really quiet and really ghostly in the mix. Um, mm. But then when you actually hear her properly, she's got a really soulful voice. Um, and she, yeah, she's done like a solo album. She rules. So, yeah, and she's a rad chick as well. Um, and yeah, just like seeing that band, like seeing them live a few times and all of them being like super awesome people. Yeah, I just have a real soft spot for Winhand. Awesome. Uh, what's his next Ooh, one? Sumac. Ooh, Sumac. <laughs> what One Becomes. Um, yeah, just a super heavy, punishing band. Um, yeah. Oh, so good. So good live. Just, yeah, just absolutely destroying. That's like shakes your bones. Yeah. Yeah, shakes your innards. Um, yeah, amazing. Next. Soundgarden, Bad Motorfinger, had to be in there. Um, I would also have uh, Super Unknown in there because I got into that when I was quite young as well. Saved up my money, bought the tape. I think it was like 20 bucks. Um, yeah, I think the first song I heard would have been Black Hole Sun, of course. Um, super weird video clip, super weird song. Great video clip. Yeah. Um, yeah, the song is so weird but so catchy. Um, and then you listen to the rest of the album and it's just, yeah, it's just... A, yeah it's a bit of a journey um yeah one of their heavier songs ever is on um super unknown uh, fourth of july and they use some really fucking whack tuning and it's uh, yeah it's unreal it's actually really dooming now that i go back and listen to that it's like oh that kind of makes sense why i love super heavy music from that mm. song. anyway <laughs> we've got skid row self-titled um yeah that was an album that I think my brother had on vinyl as a kid and you know we didn't have that many records so that was one that I just you know turned up loud and listened to a lot and yeah um you know name a better glam vocalist than Sebastian Bach you just, oh my god you can't he's amazing yeah I 
didn't realise when he was that character on Gilmore Girls that he was the dude <laughs> from Skid Row. I was just like, oh, how did they get an actor of that age and elk and face with the long hair and be able to play guitar? And then I was yeah. like, oh, he's actually oh. from Skid Row. <laughs> Look, he's an absolute, like, he'd be such a punishing guy. Um, I did meet him once. That was a really happy moment. But, um, yeah, he, yeah, absolute dickhead, amazing singer. Anyway, next. <laughs> VH1 whore Yeah oh my god Totally What was Uh, that fucking thing we watched Super group Super group Fuck what an idiot Um, Okay next up we have Sleep Dope Smoker Which you also had in there Which um, I'm impressed with Um, Yeah Oh it was just for an easy catch all stoner points really Yeah You know Um, Yeah I mean jeez You know I'd never quite heard anything like it When I first um, listened to it and the fact that it's just one big long song and yeah it's just a wall of sound and it's something that you can meditate to um Mm. so yeah great to put on when you go to sleep next album (laughs) um i've got um pantera but this is the great southern outtakes but this is not my favorite (laughs) album it's just the only pantera one i have on vinyl crazily enough um so i would choose cowboys um it's just the one that i've listened to the most and the one that i love the most i mean what i'm not even gonna begin to tell your listeners the reason why it's amazing because they already know um okay next one is ohm variations on a theme so yeah ohm were like after i think after sleep first split up um basically the sleep drummer and elsa's neros uh, just formed a two-man band um, it's obviously evolved into much more than just being like drums and bass um, there's you know there's more instruments they've got a third dude in there for a while um, but yeah variations on a theme is just a really fun groovy stoner thing that you yeah you just chuck on at a party and it'd, it'd just be a really good vibe yeah and really fun to jam along to on drums as well um, next up Nirvana and Utero um, yeah yeah, Nirvana are another one of my most favourite bands ever because it was like a childhood kind of band for me. And In Utero uh, was an album that I received um, on cassette as a present from two of my friends for my 12th birthday. They went halfsies. <laughs> and where did they buy that tape from, Mel? Um, they bought that from the uh, Kai Koda Lotto shop, which wasn't actually a music shop. It was like a tats lotto shop. We just call it Lotto in New Zealand. Um, and they had just one very small wall of tapes and that was the only place you could buy tapes in my hometown growing up. So yeah, they got it from there. And I think, you know, obviously I'd heard Nevermind and I love that, everyone did. Um, but then when I first heard In Utero, I think the first listen I was just like, ugh. But then the second time around, I'm like, fuck this, this rules. Um, you know, obviously you've got Heart Shaped Box, you've got All Apologies. Um, but then you've got super heavy songs on there as well, um, like Scentless Apprentice. Like, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah, amazing drum beat um, and amazing drum sound on that whole album. Um, yeah, Steve Albini. Mm, yeah. Yeah, guru. All right, next up we have Nine Inch Nails, Pretty Hate Machine. Probably would have had With Teeth instead because Ooh, I Ooh, that's an interesting that album. choice. Mm, yeah, just came along at the right time for me. Um, I don't think they've released an album since... Yeah, you got sober. The Fragile. 
right? It was like a really long period in between of them releasing an album. Yeah, he was like, he was on drugs for mm. the previous albums and then he got clean with, with teeth and he came out and he was like buff, shaved head. Yeah, yeah. Playing the piano on like looking, some TV show. Looking like, like a jock. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> became the, he, be, he became the Chad, finally. Yeah. That we know and love today. Mm. Um, it all began there, you know. The Oscar winning. Although he did have that fucking bad haircut in the with teeth promo images, he had like a bit of it was a bit of and a obscene jacket, fringe, right? and a, yeah, I think he had like a leather jacket with like no collar. You know, one of those <laughs> ones, listeners, where it's like it just like there's a little tabby bit you clip to the other side. Like, and apologies I was like, for anyone uh, listening that has one of those jackets, you should probably get rid of it. All I right. just think that it's yeah, I just thought it was a weird choice for Trent. You know, like it is. He was always he's, such a style he's icon. Better than that. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Um, next up, we've got uh, Mastodon, Leviathan. I've also got Crack the Sky in there. Um, pretty hard to choose between those two, actually. I mean, I love pretty much all of Mastodon's albums. Um, like, I think The Hunter is my least favourite. Mm, um, we talked about that a bit on with mm, Matt and I. Mm. And I, I think it's great. I think there's, you know, there's some kind of weaker songs on that album, but yeah. I don't think it's worth, like... It just doesn't flow well for me. There's mm. some great songs on there, don't get me wrong. There are some killer songs, but, like, you know, Once More Around the Sun was so much better. And, yeah, I don't know. In my opinion. <laughs> um, yeah, you heard but, it here first, guys. Everyone now needs to... <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Mastodon. What a band. One of my favourite bands, for sure. Um, next up is Interama. Um, I think I've got pretty much all of their albums um, on vinyl, so I thought well, I've got to choose Interama and I've got Sky Burial, which I think was kind of their, it's kind of the one that, where they kind of broke through and actually made it big, I think it's on fucking Relapse or something um, yeah um, I can confirm by looking at the back of the vinyl that it was released through Relapse, Yeah. So I wonder how many of these were, there'd be a few right? I don't know, what's special about that one anyway um, yeah, just because they're super heavy, but, you know, super varied as well. They take you on a bit of a journey with their albums. I think people refer to them as Blackened Doom, um, probably at the time when that came out. Maybe there wasn't that much Blackened Doom. There's probably fucking endless bands There's a lot of like Blackened that. everything now. I think there's less, I think there's less black metal bands now than just Blackened bands. It's yeah. really easy to throw that, you know. Mm. It's, it's, it's great though I'm glad because I think a lot of black metal for me is a bit unlistenable but when you add it to another genre it's like oh yeah sick it's just like more evil sounding you know yeah but yeah they're just one of those bands um, that are just yeah super super heavy and crushing live so yeah I love them excellent um, next one is High on Fire I've got The Art of Self Defense but it really would be uh, Snakes for the Divine because that's when I first got into them um, yeah better album art on that one as well is that the one that's like a yeah. Frazetta it's like a you know, is like a chick with a sword or something. Yeah, or yeah, like, like is she holding, no, is she holding a snake? I don't even fucking know. That's terrible. I've paid like zero attention to cover art. You study everything. I don't even look at it. It just looks <laughs> sick. It just looked like something that would have been like on the storyboards for like Arnold Schwarzenegger Conan or something. Oh, you know? yeah. It's like got that vibe where it's like, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Like, this is like, you know, doesn't say, say as much about, you know, the way the other one does, which is what I like about it. <laughs> And last, but last not up. least. Mm, definitely not least. I've got Heart, um, Little Queen. I, it's not really, I don't think I really have a favourite Heart album. I've got like about 10 of them up there. Um, I just love the band. They're amazing. Um, yeah, most people know them from the song All I Want to Do Is Make Love to You during the like, you know, 
late 80s or early 90s kind of power ballad kind of phase but you know they're around in the 70s and they were fucking ruling in the 70s um, but barracudas on this one right um on oh we not i'm not talking about this album specifically i'm talking about the band in general that what most people know them oh, for my um bad. yeah but no um yeah, so yeah, everyone knows Barracuda. Mm. I, sometimes I forget about that um, well, <laughs> because I've got Hero. so many other awesome songs nah, from back on, in that era as well. It was well. on Guitar Hero, so when it's on Guitar Hero, it becomes <laughs> like Mother Danzig. Like it just it propels it to a, a level above any other song in that band's catalogue for like mm. the youth of today. And I consider myself the youth because I played Guitar Hero when Barracuda was on there. <laughs> yeah, oh, it's a, it's a very perfect song to have. Um, on Guitar Hero. Um, yeah, it's got the you know, yeah, triplets. Exactly. Yeah, the gallop. Um, yeah, um, they were probably one of the first bands to fucking do that. So, you know, Heart fucking rule. Go watch some like early 70s um, Heart footage um, and you won't be sorry. Anyway, so that's it. That's the end of the pile. How long was that? <laughs> like 25 minutes. Okay. Yeah, that's not too much of a punish for the listeners. No. Um, yeah, this is a very, very daunting task. And also, like, coming on to talk after Matt Clary, who's so articulate and, yeah, he just speaks so beautifully. It's really nice to listen to. <laughs> I hope you guys liked the episode. Bit of a diversion. I'm, I hope you, I'm glad you enjoyed it, Mal. I hope everyone else did as well. hope yeah. everyone enjoyed Matt's uh, sultry tones on the podcast mics. It's been a while. So that was great. And, uh, yeah, we'll be back again soon with the next one. <laughs>